0: Or in the House of Sands, here to save the day. Let's talk about your favorite movies, have some laughs and fun. And when you're scared of deep dark shadows, you won't need to run. It's all horror fiction, still a screen addiction. Hello, horror fans. Welcome to episode 7 of season 3 of Horror in the House of Salmons. I am Jamie, and with me as always is Brian. Hello. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing okay. We've had a nice
1: run of some really beautiful weather here. So,
0: uh, that always makes me happy. Good, good. You know, than that, I'm just doing okay, I guess. I'm so sorry this episode is as late as it is. Uh, you might be able to tell when you listen to the segments of the show that they were actually recorded months ago. <laughs> yeah. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. And I for you those of you guys who have hung around and are still out there, I appreciate it. If you are a patron then um, we did release some stuff on Patreon while we were out because I'm not going to leave you guys hanging. Um, we did a our top 10 werewolf show. Uh-huh. And uh, we have upcoming, we've already started working on a new retrospective, retrospective of the George Romero of the Dead films. Yay. So, uh, as far as the regular show goes, it will be continuing. It's just, again, I appreciate your patience. There's just been a lot. But uh, we're going to try to pick things up and move along. And we do have some correspondence that is very out of date date by now, but we'll go ahead and jump into that. First of all, we have an email from Lucas that was sent way back in April. Mm. Hey, Lucas. And he says, Hi, guys. After listening to your latest episode and hearing my email read, I had to facepalm for forgetting to put the original Friday the 13th on my list, Apologies for that, as I was very high when I wrote it. (laughs) To clarify, and I get that, to clarify that movie is at number four on my list between Part 2 and Jason X. I did deliberately leave off Freddy vs. Jason, as it feels much more like a nightmare movie to me. I was very happy to hear you both talk positively about pieces. I love that movie, and I rate it 5 out of 5. Yay! I'm 43, so not far behind you both in age, but I didn't see or even hear about Pieces until I was 22 when I bought a Mill Creek 4 movie set, mainly because it had Baba's Kill Baby Kill. Mm, Good on you. Pieces was one of the other three movies I loved it on first watch. The sheer amount of blood and gore in the movie is awesome. I still watch it at least once a year, I'm very happy to hear that Brian chose Lords of Salem for the next show. I am a zombie fan, and that is my favorite movie of his. Nice. I very much look forward to hearing what you both have to say on that. That will be all from me for now. I hope all is well, and that we get updated on how the turtle is doing, too. (laughs) Adios. Uh, As far as Sherman is concerned, he is doing pretty well. He uh, has gotten to go outside a couple times and run around, And he loves that. He loves it so much he does not want to come back inside when he's... It's very cute. Um, He has a good time. I just have to keep an eye on him because he is a fast mover when he's motivated.
1: Oh, yeah. We want to get a little... Some fencing and make him a pen. But when we went out to our local Home Depot, for whatever fucking reason, they didn't have any fencing. Yeah. Which is just really stupid for Home Depot.
0: Well, I'm wondering if they just, well, no, the particular one we were looking for, they didn't even sell that one. And it was at another Home Depot, but I didn't want to drive halfway across the state. So, yeah, yeah, we're still uh, working on that. But he goes outside supervised and he has a great time. Yep. Okay, we also have something else from Lucas. This is a comment on... The, on the werewolf show that I mentioned, he says, Very cool show. I'm glad you did this one, as most werewolf movies I've seen have been pretty much crap. And I'm happy to have a good list to check out now. Thanks. And there was actually another comment uh, saying virtually the same thing, that I can't find it, and I don't remember. I'm so sorry. I don't remember who it was, and I can't find it.
1: Yeah, because it's taken so long to get this show out. We might have missed some comments or feedback or emails or whatever. It's not done on purpose. It's just because
0: uh, Jamie dropped the ball. I did. I take full responsibility. All this shit is on me. I it's, blame her. It is totally on me. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? If you hear this and it's you, uh, please send it again and I will bring it up on the next show. I My deepest apologies.
1: I did happen to see that... Uh, On our Facebook group, Stephen Scott has just watched Ginger Snaps. Oh. I think for the first time. Based on our show? Based on our show. Nice. And he really liked it. He gave it a four out of five.
0: Nice. All right. Sounds good. Uh, We do have a comment from Nicole on the Renfield episode that we did. And she says, I'm so glad you did this movie. Last weekend, my husband and I couldn't decide between this and Evil Dead Rise. So we saw both and though i really enjoyed and recommend both no one is talking about this and it makes me sad i had so much fun with this it's not horror exactly but if it's not made for horror fans i don't know who the target audience is it's so bloody great action scenes and most of the humor hit i thought everyone was great but of course nick cage stole the show it's so much fun to watch him act and the crazier the better Anyone that likes him, horror-slash-action comedies, or vampire movies should see this. I might go again. Nice!
1: And yeah, that was a really fun movie, and surprisingly uh, far more gory and bloody than I ever thought it was going to be, but that yeah, was just a nice surprise. I loved it.
0: Okay, um, well, speaking of Steven, since he just watched Ginger Snaps, he did actually give us some feedback on that werewolf episode. Okay. He said, I forgot you had like in it in the Patreon feed and listened to it today. I agree that American Werewolf in London and The Howling are the two best, and it's been way too long for another stellar werewolf movie. Oh, yeah. What I really want to comment on was your con- conversation on CGI images. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think you missed one reason why CGI is overused in this day and age laziness why bother with (laughs) a creative practical effect when you can just cgi it cgi makes it way too easy to do effects in this day and age moreover it takes away the mystery of special effects i remember seeing american werewolf in london in the theater and i was amazed at the transformation and the howling created My brother and I both wondered, how did they do that? The same was true in The Empire Strikes Back. You wonder how they made the scene of the Millennium Falcon flying through the asteroid field look so amazingly real. Now we look at such scenes in modern movies and know that's CGI. It requires no imagination, no creativity, and little to no effort. Well, keep your podcast coming, and I'll catch some of the other werewolf movies you mentioned. And apparently he did, so Mm -hmm. that's great. I understand that, and I can see
1: that, and he's right for the most part. Now, CGI does take some talent, does take some skill, just like anything. Unfortunately, I think it's a multifaceted problem. Uh, I think a big problem is they don't put it in until the movie's over. So there's now a thing with filmmakers, we'll fix it in post, or, you know, it's going to look great in CGI. Here's a tennis ball on a stick. Pretend this is the monster. grrr! And so the actors, I mean, they can't act to that. It's a fucking tennis ball on a stick. They do the best they can. They do the best they can. But when it comes to CGI, in order to have good CGI, it takes two things. And it still does, even all these years after Jurassic Park came out. 30 years later. And proved the point. It takes money, lots of it, and it takes time. Lots of it. Uh, The reason why some of the recent Marvel movies, even the Marvel diehard fans, have been like, yeah, that CGI sucked, is because... They're rushing them. Yeah, Disney might give them the money, they're not giving them the time. That is also part and parcel why they don't do uh, practical effects anymore, because that takes lots of time, and it takes quite a bit of money as well. So, they all think they can circumvent that, get around it, and cheat the system by, again, just fix it in post. And, oh, don't worry, the CGI is going to look wonderful. And if they want to rush the damn thing out, that's the first thing that goes. The good thing about practical effects, they are done in the movie. And not only does that mean the actors and a director and the cinematographer and everybody else can react to the actual thing, It's not some imaginary, well, it's going to look awesome when it's in there. Bullshit. But that means it's baked into the film. In other words, the production company can't at the end suddenly decide, well, we're going to speed this movie up. And so the release date was going to be nine months from now. Now you have three. Deal with it. And that happens all the time. So I do feel bad for the CGI artists and stuff like that. I feel bad for the movies that have the best of intentions, and they want great special effects, and they want stuff to look good, but at the end of the day, they either don't have A, the money, or B, the time to make them look good. Or maybe even C, the talent. If they go, but that's also part and parcel with the money thing, if they go with a cheaper production house. I mean, if you get ILM... You're going to get some amazing CGI, but it's going to take time, and it's going to cost you.
0: Yeah. Well, another thing, and I think I brought this up during that discussion on that show, was, and it irritates me so much, is then when a director does go out of his way to do everything practically, they still get people assuming that it's CGI.
1: The thing I hate worse than that and it just drives me up a fucking wall is when they do practical effects but then some mental patient in the production company goes you know what kids today don't like practical effects we're gonna put CGI over the effects like with the thing recent reboot prequel whatever the fuck I don't care that movie's dog shit it's a prequel
0: uh, it's not that hard
1: I don't care it's dog shit it's not that hard either that's not the only movie they've done that in, believe it or not. But it is the most egregious to me. If they had practical effects in that movie, would that have saved it? No. There's plenty of other boneheaded decisions in it. But that was a huge part of
0: Well, and it was such a shame after they took so much time and effort to recreate the buildings yes. and the room. I mean, to make everything match up. They went through all that trouble... And then tanked it with the special effects. But not only that, you are correct. There were some script problems in that film. Oh, more than some. Like the fact that the monster just jumps out all the time. Just like, boo! (laughs) You know, and like, that's not how the thing works. Stop it. Okay. Uh, We also did a review of Evil Dead Rise for Patreon, and Nicole commented on that. And she said... I was hoping you'd do a review on this. It's probably my favorite of the year so far. Nice. Though I admit I haven't watched much new horror, and no worries on the episodes. We all know you have lives and other responsibilities.
1: So even back then, we were making excuses.
0: (laughs) She uh, also then commented... Her ranking of the films. Good. uh, Going from five to one, she ranks them Army of Darkness, The Evil Dead, Evil Dead Rise, Evil Dead 2, and Evil Dead. That's
1: a good ranking, in my humble opinion.
0: And then she says, and I wanted to say, piggybacking off your last episode, that... My husband completely agrees with Jamie about Evil Dead 2. He's not a big fan of the series anyway. He'll watch the original with me and likes it okay, but the second one he finds too goofy. Well, there you go. I'm not the only one. No. Uh, Then uh, Debbie Lynn said, I have been waiting for this review. Thank you. I absolutely loved this movie and agree that it's more in the vein of the 2013 Evil Dead, which I also really like. Like Brian, I was excited by all the callback. The showing we went to had a group of others there, and I knew it was going to be fun when the guy in front of us yelled, Jesus Christ! during the cold open. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned not seeing the Delta 88 in this one. Here's what I read on Bloody Disgusting. Oh, okay. Will the car... And this is a quote from Bloody Disgusting. Will the car be making an appearance in this year's Evil Dead Rise? Not exactly. Director Lee Cronin revealed in the new issue of SFX Magazine. Then again, it sort of does. What I looked to do was take the things that... Are within the Evil Dead universe, bring them into my own little kitchen and cook them up in a slightly different way. Although there's no Oldsmobile Delta, the chainsaw in the movie is exactly the same color as the Oldsmobile Delta. So there's more overt things to play that people can grip straight onto and really subtle things like that.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, alright. Yeah, Oops. I mean that's kind of a lame ass excuse. You could have easily put the car in the garage. You should yeah, they, have uh, done that.
0: There are a lot of scenes in the parking garage yeah. where the car perfectly could have sat. And there's but... many cars down there, so it wouldn't have changed anything. Okay. But uh close whatever. that whatever. And Debbie also gave us her ranking, and she says Her ranking uh from five to one, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead Two. Ha ha ha. Uh, Evil Dead Rise, Evil Dead, and The Evil Dead. Nice. Paul Moscone says, I only saw it two nights ago. Of course, this was, you know, way back then. <laughs> and loved it. So I can't wait to hear your review on it this weekend. You know we're not going anywhere. So take your time with whatever you have going on. Just means the wait will be worth it. Aww. I saw they're looking to make one every year or two now. Ugh. Based on the three books instead of every decade or so.
1: Well, that is better. So more good news. I would, uh, I want more Evil Dead than less Evil Dead. But if they're committed to that, we got to knock out once, you know, one movie a year. I mean, that's what they did with Star Wars. And look what happened to that. Yeah. And that's what they did with the Marvel movies, and look what happened to that.
0: Well, we just gotta wait and see. Yeah. Uh, Steven also gave us his Evil Dead ranking, and his goes from 5 to 1, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 2013, Evil Dead Rise, Evil Dead Dead by Dawn, and Evil Dead 83. Aw, Man, Army of Darkness gets no love. Yeah, I know. And it's how it should be. He says, I do want to rewatch Evil Dead 2013 since I only saw it once when it first came out. That might make me reverse Rise and the remake. Awesome. Okay, and I think that was everything that we've been able to dig up. Yeah. Again, apologies if you sent something or said something and I missed it. Uh, Please just send it again and I'll be happy to circle back. And include that on the next episode.
1: Thanks, as always, for the feedback and your own, you know, rankings and stuff like that. Love to see it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You guys make this show everything that it is. And we love you so much. And, again, thank you for hanging around. Uh, So, uh, without further ado, let's get into this episode. We'll take a very quick break. Not two months, I promise. And... Come right back with the movie discussion. Yay! Hey, you get back here! We have to do the alphabet! No way! I'm busting loose! (sighs) That's the son of the ABCs of hidden horror. We are back and it's time to talk about our movies. I will be going first this time. Ooh, aren't you special? <laughs> I uh, wouldn't have, except I had to make a change. Yeah, you lie to the listeners. I did. I and... hope you're happy. <laughs> uh, apologies, but as I explained in the beginning of the show, you know what's up by now. So I am going to be talking about The Believers today from 1987. This was directed by John John Schlesinger. Never say his name. Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Sounds good. (laughs) It stars Martin Sheen, Helen Shaver, Harley Cross as the little boy Chris, and he was in Shriek, if you know what I did last Halloween that fell on the Friday the third what, what's the name of that movie? <laughs> Shriek if you know no, what I did, I did last, last Halloween. Halloween
1: something like that
0: uh, yeah and
1: it's not that good
0: couple other things but uh, also Robert Loggia Elizabeth Wilson and I really love Jimmy Smith's performance in this yeah but I think I he's really good I pretty much like him whenever I see him. Yeah, anything. he's he's a very good actor. And actually, everyone is here. I really love all the work that people did. So, this film is about Santeria. I and don't practice Santeria. But do you I have I don't got ball? no crystal ball. <laughs> now, if that song is the only time you've ever heard the word Santeria, you might be going, what's Santeria? Or, hey, I watched this movie. I thought it was voodoo well there's a reason for that and it's virtually the same thing it what just, is the difference the difference is where it came up so they both came over from
1: West from Africa. West
0: Africa they were both religions that came over from West Africa but uh, during the slave trade they were brought over by slaves but the difference is where they landed so for the slaves who landed in Haiti. That's where we get voodoo. And the slaves who landed in Santeria... In Cuba, that's where we get Santeria.
1: Yeah, both of them got mixed with a whole bunch of Roman Catholic iconography, mostly because the masters of the slaves and all that stuff, and they incorporated it into their own religions. Uh, Voodoo is actually technically Vudon. Vudon is the actual religion that real people do believe and practice even today Uh, unfortunately there's not a different name for what they have here in santeria
0: but santeria is not evil no Uh, well it's like anything yeah it has a dark side anything in nature uh and whether that be you know nature itself or religions or anything everything has a light side and a dark side and if you practice santeria you can and every time i say that I'm, i just i want to start singing <laughs> <I> but <know. laughs> so but if you practice Santeria, of you know it's not It's not on the whole, it's not an evil thing. It's not anything that's dark or or black magic. It's usually for good. You know, these are good people and they practice good magic. It's just like
1: Verdun. Most of that is just people doing what they do and living their life and all that. But there is a dark side to that, and Hollywood likes to focus on that.
0: Yeah, well, that's. It makes for good stories. Exactly, for storytelling.
1: But But, I mean, there is a difference between actual real world religion. I mean, it's like Wicca and witchcraft, kind of of. You know, Wicca is a religion people practice and have fun with and all that stuff. They're not killing babies or whatever. Nope. But witchcraft, honest to goodness, goodness, witchcraft, at least through the Hollywood lens, that's evil, Satan worshipping, sacrifices and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, so anything can be made, made dark if you choose. There are some other differences between the two religions. Uh, Santeria has more deities and you know, just various little things like that. But the basic idea is they they both came from West Africa. They both uh, intertwine Roman Catholicism, <laughs> Roman Catholicism, within their religious rites. One speaks a lot of Spanish. The other speaks a lot of French. Actually, that's right. So if you watch this film, and you know, there you see uh, r- religious rites or or magical rites where they're killing chickens or other animals or things that you've seen from movies about voodoo, there is a reason for that. They're very similar in that, you know, in their origin.
1: Basically, they wanted to tell a voodoo story, a witchcraft story, a black magic story, and just decided to go with Santeria because it was lesser known of all of that, at least to the common, you know, American citizen, I guess so that's why they picked that
0: i actually like that too because how often do you see stories about santeria yeah you don't and this uh takes place in new york and a good chunk of it you know kind of goes in and out of spanish harlem Mm -hmm. they spend some time there so you know there's all those connections i i really like that i think that it brought something fresh and new And even though there are things that seem similar from other voodoo stories that you've seen, it is a different, fresh take. And I kind of like that. Yeah. We start out with Martin Sheen, who has a wife and a son. His son's name is Chris. He's going upriver to
1: get Colonel Kurtz.
2: (laughs) Isn't he? The horror. (laughs) The horror.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's um, that's a deep cut for horror fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may not know that. They I don't need to
1: broaden their <laughs> horizons, if so.
0: But it starts out where, and this isn't a spoiler, really. Well, I won't tell you how, because it's kind of um, Final Destination ish. Yeah. But uh, his wife ends up getting killed, and so right in front of the kid and right in front of him. It's pretty hardcore. It's hardcore, yeah. and. He then takes his son and moves to New York. He went to graduate school. He went to Columbia in New York. And he is He's a, a, shrink a, who a therapist for cops. cops. Yeah. yeah. He specifically works with police officers who are going through things. And Which is for a the good police way department.
1: to bring a civilian into the investigation.
0: Yes. Now, yeah. Unlike
1: most jalos where they're just like, well, you can help us out now. I mean, he has a reason for being involved with all these cases and the cops and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. He came back to New York, like I said, because he uh, went to graduate school there, so he has a connection there. But his wife's parents are also nearby because they start coming by a lot. Yeah, they have a very close
1: connection. They love him as a son-in-law, and even though she's dead, they still want to be part of his life and part of the grandkid's life because he has a, a young boy. Named Christopher, and they're very smart and they're very urbane. They're very—they're uh, both like professors of some sort. Mm-hmm. One is an anthropologist. I don't know what the other one is exactly, but they travel all over the world and meet all these indigenous native people and hang out with them and learn their customs and all that.
0: Yeah, they've been to Africa. They've been well, pretty much everywhere, yeah. and uh, actually, and they've taken Chris mm-hmm. along with them too throughout and. So I, I really actually, like, that's the life I've always wanted. Be I always cool. wanted to be uh, a person who traveled the world and knew people all over the world. You know, I just it would take a think lot of that'd shots. be a cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like the, the knowledge of the world traveler. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. But so, yeah, they have um, a very good relationship with them. And since uh, he has, what is Martin Sheen's name in the movie? Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen's character is Cal Jamison, And since Cal has moved back to New York with his son, they've hired Carmen, who is a Latina housekeeper, nanny for Chris. And he also has struck up a relationship with his new landlord who lives across the street from him, which I don't know exactly how much of a time gap there was. I imagine it took some time to sell the house, make the decision where you want to go. Martin Sheen is
1: on the move.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah he didn't... There's no flies on Martin Sheen.
0: No, he didn't <laughs> wait too long. Uh, you know, it's not like Chris is suddenly 15 years old or something. He didn't He didn't wait very long. But, you know, uh, he's trying to put his life back together. He's trying to do what's best for him and for his son. And, you know, he meets this woman who is very nice and they get along and... and they strike up a relationship, and she seems to be a really good person, a really caring person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's I'm I'm glad for him. That's good. He also has a lawyer who is a very good friend of his, played very by, good friend. Uh, yeah, uh, played by Richard Maser. and I really like him in this role. I like him anyway. Um, if that name doesn't seem familiar, uh, you would know him from the original It. He's the guy in the bathtub. Yeah, um, along with a, a ton of other stuff, yeah. but that's probably what would stick out for most horror fans. It was, I think, the bastard dad in uh, the Nightmares
1: anthology, the one with yes, the
0: Yes, he was with the rat, yeah. While this is going on, or while he's doing all of this, uh, Robert Loggia is a police lieutenant. Yeah, this movie is
1: stacked with stars. You can tell the movie I picked that we'll be talking about later, Lords of Salem, is a very low-budget, independent film. This one was a big studio production, so it has big studio production written all over it. I mean, just filming in New York, uh, which they did, that has to be expensive as hell. And then you add all these, you know, recognizable, at the time, pretty big-name actors, and you get a very professional film.
0: Yeah, it's the it's not crazy big budget, because the stars that they do have aren't A-listers, no. but they're just well-known well, and was. really good Uh, But it had a thirteen million dollar budget, and you know, for but it was also back in eighty seven, so or something, yeah. And sadly, it only made about eighteen. Well, I'm not surprised. So it didn't do well at the box office, and that disappoints me because I think it deserves it. It's a really good film that nobody talks about. It's a good suspense thriller.
1: I don't remember ever seeing it at the theater. This was another HBO movie for me. It was on HBO all the damn time, so I must have saw it, like, uh, easily a dozen times back then.
0: Yeah, and this was one that you actually introduced me to Yay. years ago. It's one of those that I was aware of, and I knew it was around, but, and I think I'd maybe, you know, seen how you do, you know, your flipping channels or whatever. You'll yeah. see a few minutes of something here or there. But Brian is the reason that I watched it completely for the first time several years ago. And I'm glad you did. I'm glad that you brought this. Well, I think we actually covered it because it was in the collection.
1: Yeah. And that might (laughs) be
0: why. But, and of course that was years ago when we were in the B's. Now we're all the way up to D. (laughs) But uh, there are some things happening here that are really disturbing. There are children that are being found that were ritualistically murdered And there is a cop, Jimmy Smits, who is kind of like everyone's, they think he is the number one suspect because they actually found him at one of the crime scenes. And he's like, no, I was knocked out. And when I woke up, the kid was dead. Everybody was gone. And they got my badge. And now he's terrified because he knows that the people who are doing this are doing this some sort of. Black magic. Santeria ritual. And because they
1: have his badge, he knows they can put the whammy on him if they want. He's also, you know, because he's Latino, he knows about Santeria. And he is aware of it and he believes in it. So he's the perfect victim. I mean, one of the things that I always liked about uh, Santeria voodoo, a lot of these magical traditions, they only seem to work if you believe in them. I mean, that is actually a major plot point in Skeleton Key.
0: Yes. Yeah. You have
1: to believe for it to work. And that's why this movie is called The Believers. And it's one of those things where, of course, Martin Sheen in the beginning, he don't believe in anything. In fact, he goes around most of the movie shouting his head off, get
0: out of here, don't we- yeah, Carmen practices Santeria, yeah. and he, she is trying to do Protect protection yeah. spells. She's, you know, she's it's good magic. She's not doing anything bad, but he, he doesn't like it because he's not religious yeah, at all. He's a bit
1: much. I mean, every time she so much as sneezes something with Santeria in his presence,
0: oh, you stop that believe in it get that out of here but that's always the way yeah you know know. it's all you always have and it's usually a housekeeper nanny or something like that it's the
1: the magical negro trope and it's the same thing here even if they're you know
0: hispanic versus yeah
1: like pretty much every latino person they meet has some kind of knowledge or spellcraft or something there where they know what's going on, and they're here to help the white people understand. Basically, they are the audience surrogate or the exposition dumps. They're here to tell us dumb white people who've never heard of Santeria, this is what it's about, this is what it can do, this is what you have to do, you know, stuff like that.
0: We saw it in Paranormal Activity and what usually happens is they will try to help they will have some sort of iconography or something in the house that then the white person sees and gets pissed off yeah, about because be- they don't understand yeah. it and they, they just think Ooh, it's bad oh that's witchcraft or voodoo or something girl and they never listen and they always kick them out
1: yeah they always fuck it up then they get in more deep trouble and then they find somebody else to help them
2: And
0: that
1: that is what happens here, but I don't know. I like it. I think it's a good way to explain the stuff and explore it and show that there is two sides, that not everything that has this Santeria flavor is all blood sacrifices and child killing and stuff like that. There's a good side to it as well as a bad side.
0: And it makes sense that... Oh, you mentioned that they are, that Martin Sheen, for instance, in this case, is the audience surrogate. And Mm -hmm. that makes sense because the vast majority of people, particularly white people, don't know, you know, anything about this stuff. And it's, as part of the human species, we are, you know, on the whole, terrified of things we don't understand.
1: Well, and also, I mean, not to be too big of a, you know... too much emphasis on race and all that stuff but white europeans have a history of uh religious intolerance let's say um there are so many religions that the good old christian faith has tried to stamp out or do away with i mean every christian holiday is basically based off a pagan holiday they co-opted for their own stuff yes i know it's a shock but it is true most churches, especially in the old country, Europe and all that, are built over other pagan holy spots.
0: And when there's so, a very specific reason for that.
1: Well, yeah, because the church wants to obliterate everything that came before them and put their own stamp on, No, no, you see, this is Christian. I mean, the reason Satan has a pitchfork has nothing to do with Poseidon. No, he just does. And the reason he has horns has nothing to do with Sinai. I always get his name messed up. Senurus, a horned deity. So yeah, whatever the Christians don't like, they try to obliterate or obfuscate or, you know, just whatever. And that's the same thing here, even though Martin Sheen is not a believer, it's this other element. It is a strange, mysterious, exotic, oh my god, people are dancing and singing and killing chickens and...
0: You well, know. and he grew up Catholic. Yeah. So what he knows is Christianity. And even though he doesn't practice and he actually says I'm 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 not a practicing Catholic, but he was raised Catholic. And ironically, Christianity is usually younger than all the religions that, well, yeah. you know, and uh, Santeria, he says I haven't checked on this, like, I don't know how exact it is, but he says Santeria is about a thousand years older than Christianity.
1: Well, yeah. The basis of it would be, like, the old religions from
0: West, West Africa. Africa. Yeah. yeah. Now, what? It yeah, became, not what it is when yeah. it came to Cuba because obviously that wasn't a thousand years ago, but... And again, they, both Santeria
1: and Voodoo, took a lot of stuff from uh, the Catholic religion and incorporated it into their own beliefs and all that.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense, too, because, well, they kind of had to. Yeah. Because you, you know, when someone drags you from where you're from and forces you into their world, you pretty much don't really have much of a choice except for to adopt what they've done well it was also a way for the
1: slaves to hide what they were doing because they weren't allowed to practice their religion right
0: so if you're you know, doing that was, catholic stuff that was or strange
1: okay. native pagan stuff you don't worship that here's the baby jesus you now worship him and all the saints and all that so basically they would take saints that were like their deities and just go okay he must be him and this way they could say oh pray to saint so-and-so and the white masters be oh okay good they're doing good christian stuff when in reality they were doing the same old religion just with different names it was very smart yeah very smart
0: i also like the fact that you brought up faith because i mean you mentioned faith here faith in voodoo but also if you think about it it is a huge part of things like vampire legends and vampiric lore you have to in order for a cross to work for instance on a vampire or holy water the person wielding it has to have faith so it's it depends who it depends on who right who tells the story but that is a very common trope so Things don't work if you don't believe that well, yeah, they don't that's work. That's the way
1: I would always see it. And that's the way I would tell my vampire stories and all that is I mean, cause a cross is just two cross sticks. Unless you know what it's about and believe in the message behind it. Yeah, be that's screwed. what gives it. Yeah, that's what yeah, I would be totally screwed. But that's why in some movies even the star of David works if the person has faith in their Jewish religion it's not necessarily the cross in and of itself all by itself it's the belief behind it
0: so the reason that Cal gets to meet the Jimmy Smith's character is because after this whole ordeal where they find him at the ritual with the dead child uh, he has to be put in Bellevue because he has lost his mind as far as they can see but really in reality he is terrified Mm -hmm. he is so terrified because he knows who they are And he knows they know who he is, and they have his badge, and they're coming after him. And I love the line, he's like, God can't help you, no one can help you, they know who you are. Yeah. And that's scary. And that's one of the most terrifying
1: things about any form of black magic, is the ability to reach out and get you. From anywhere they want, you know, they don't have to walk up and shoot you or stab you, you know, it's just... Somebody in their basement at home can do a a whammy spell and you're fucked. How do you fight that? You know, if it's a guy with a knife, you have a chance. You know, even Jason and all his murderous glory, you have a chance. What can you do against somebody, you know, putting a hex on you from 300 miles away? Nothing.
0: As we find out. Yeah. (laughs) And he eventually gets out. And he tries to meet with Cal because there is something going on, a bigger picture going on, and he knows what it is. And he's going to try to tell him this. But before Cal can get there to meet him... He freaks
1: out and stabs himself in a restaurant. People just assume he must have went crazy or he had guilt. Like some of the cops even start trying to pin. While all this is happening, like you said, there's children being murdered. So far they have two of them. And they're out in public. Well, one was out in a park. The other one was kind of hidden away. But they're all ritual. They're all cut up and and there's flowers and candles and all this stuff all over the place. So they know, okay, it's a cult. Uh, There's some wacky people doing their wacky Satanist thing. But he, Jimmy Smits, knows what it is and he knows what power it has and he knows he's fucked. So he tries to get a message to Cal to tell him what's going on, to point him in the right direction.
0: Because he knows Cal and Chris, his son, are in danger. Yes. And he tells him, he's like, you and your son are in danger. Come meet me here. And he's going to tell him everything. But you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. That never works out. Nope. (laughs) And it didn't work out. So then Cal, meanwhile, has found, uh, he's caught Carmen. Trying to protect Chris, and then he ends up kicking her out. So he doesn't have anyone to go to there. So then he, throughout the investigation, he ends up talking to this guy at a—it's a rehabilitation center where Jimmy Smiths worked with children. And he goes and talks to the guy who's the head of that. Turns out that guy is a Santero, and so he. Kind a of good steps in, in and he, their
1: religion.
0: he starts talking to him about what's going on, and you know the whole Carmen thing co- comes up, and I was, and he takes him downstairs, and he's gonna like do a protection ritual for them, and and I and I said, I'm like, and you better go home and apologize to Carmen because <laughs> you were mean, and he was, he was very mean.
2: Well,
1: like like I said he, it's it's a bit over the top every time and there's a hint of this. He's
0: oh god, you I like, settle the fuck down. Well, one, that's Martin Sheen. Yeah. He, he tends to be over yes. the top. But I, I like that about him. But yeah, he was just really mean and hurt my feelings because she was so sweet. Yeah, she's and it just... trying to be, you know, helpful and nice. And he's over. <laughs> but now that he knows what's really going on and there is a cabal of super rich powerful people who are behind this well yeah in the best
1: witchcraft black magic stories the people behind it are always the people with power with money with influence and there's a
0: reason they have that yeah, power that's and how money and they influence. get their money and influences by worshiping the devil or whatever well, whatever your story calls for yeah. they're they're whatever the bad thing is they're doing it yep and so uh like, I don't want to go into too many details about what they uncover and who is involved and, you know, the ultimate resolution, like no, what ends is up a, happening. Because it's, it's a, a, a good really mystery. good movie, a really good mystery. And if you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend it. It's on Tubi if, you know, for free. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we <laughs> we talk about to be all the time, but it is an excellent resource for films that you can't find anywhere else. So yeah, I mean, without going into spoiler territory, I guess that's pretty much all I can say. There's
1: a lot of good suspense. There's a lot of good character works. I really like Richard Mazer Mauser, whatever. He's a lawyer, but he's also like a good friend. He's also like an amateur magician. He's always doing magic tricks. And it's a cool little character quirk but actually comes into play later, which I really like. Robert Loja is always great. Uh, He's doing his cranky cop thing that he does so well. I like the villain that he got to play the main bad Santeria priest. He's very cool. He's very mysterious. He doesn't say a lot, but he doesn't have to. He just has these cool eyes and he just stares at you. And uh, yeah, Martin Sheen, while being over the top at times, yelling at poor Carmen, He's a good, well, he's a good actor, and he is a good character. Yeah. You know, he he was raised one way. He decided, you know what, I just don't believe in that. And now he has this whole other belief system thrust upon him that he has to believe in because it's affecting him. And, you know, it's doing stuff. There are people getting killed. And there's one thing I'll say, a little part that I like when uh, Jimmy Smiths kills himself, he's talking about snakes, and everybody go, oh, he's just crazy, and he, you know, he grabbed a knife from the restaurant he was at and stabbed himself in the stomach and then died. Later, the cops do an autopsy like they would, and yeah, they find snakes in his gut, yeah, live snakes. So that's when, you know, Robert Loja start like, oh shit, this might be real. And he's like, let's just close this case. Let's fuck it. You know, I don't know what the hell's going on.
0: But I don't, don't want, want any, any part of that. it.
1: <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff, you know, again, that's the part of black magic stories I really like is this overwhelming, overpowered, mysterious force that can reach out and smack you around and you are totally clueless about it. You're totally helpless. And you have to, you know, like in Martin Sheen's case, when he finally finds the good priest and all that, he's over there doing rituals and killing chickens. And this is a guy, you know, a week ago who didn't believe in anything. And now he's over there doing these rituals because he hopes it'll have some effect. He hopes it'll do something for him. And that's just, that's really neat. Especially for me, because, you know, I have a certain lack of faith in pretty much everything. I always identify as an agnostic. I don't necessarily, I'm not an atheist. I don't go, there is, period, no God. That's me. I'm mostly like, I don't think there is, but there could be. I'm open to it. I don't ever proclaim to know that there is or isn't. And in my world, in my point of view that's how humanity should be we we don't know we'll never know it is beyond us by our by its very nature but then again i'm a faithless heathen if you do believe and you do have faith good on you you know i don't have anything against people who do hell my best friend is very religious
0: it's weird i mine is more of a, i just don't i don't believe it and I don't care when it comes to other people having faith or being religious. I have no issues with that. As a matter of fact, if you are someone who has faith and it brings you comfort, and I think that's a wonderful yes. thing. I do. I, I really do. And I, and I, the only time I have an issue with it is when people use it for yes. bad. And that is unfortunately quite often. Well, the
1: Bible says they don't like homosexuals. So grrr, fuck off. Leave people alone. Well,
2: and
0: that's my thing, is just leave people alone. Let people live their lives. Why do you care when it affects you not at all what someone else does with their life? Just leave it alone. Live your life. Be happy. I want you to be happy. And content. And, uh, you know, but you don't have to force that on other people. That's not okay. Yep. At least as far as I see it. And I don't force my beliefs or non-belief on anybody no. else. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, uh, But anyway, uh, this is an excellent film. And uh, I do, again, love the fact that they use Santeria just because that's something that no one ever talks about. You don't see movies about it all the Except time. Except for that one song. and Right. <laughs> and I think it's a, a kind of a, a fresh new take you know do they get everything right probably not no but when do they ever yeah. <laughs> so you know don't uh, don't I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't write a paper on Santeria based on this film but you know it is still very interesting and I highly recommend it
1: yeah as I've said many times on a show for whatever reason I've always been drawn to I always just call it voodoo but it's black magic in general it's You know, uh, different religions, different faiths. I find that stuff fascinating. I don't believe in any of it, but it's very interesting to me. So I've always liked this movie.
0: Well, and that's interesting, too, because, like I just said, I don't believe in anything, but I have always been fascinated in every religion. And I have spent years of my life studying various religions just because I find it so fascinating.
1: Yeah, I know more about religion than a lot of quote, religious people dude."
0: I also went to a Christian school for, for uh, when I was in a uh, younger elementary school and I can talk to you about the Bible and about the, the history of it and all this stuff. I don't believe it, no. but I can talk to you about yeah, it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and I do, I, I like conversations about religion. I mean, we actually have conversations about religion all the time and just because it's Interesting and fascinating. Our
1: section of I don't know if you ever noticed it, but a section of our library is devoted to religion.
0: Oh well, yeah, and I contributed some of that. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about when I was reading the I was reading a book on demonology on the school bus (laughs) and this girl who was sitting across the aisle from me, she was very Christian. She always was she was always reading her Bible all the time. Very quiet kind of kept to herself, just reading her Bible all the time. And she was nice. Like, you know, she just didn't really talk to anyone, but I was on the school bus and I was reading this book about demonology and, uh, she kind of leaned over and she was very quiet and she's like, excuse me, (laughs) excuse me. And I was like, yeah, you know, And she goes, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And I just kind of looked at her and I'm like, Not anymore. And then I went back to what I was doing and then she left me alone. But like, and I had, I was raised very Christian. Yeah. And, uh,
1: I held my mom. She got out of that. She was the kind, she talked in tongues. I mean, that's how Christian she was. I remember being in a church, hearing all these people and going, what the fuck is going on? back in ye old days with Jim Baker and his fucked up bullshit, uh, we went to PTL. Like, the. it was basically oh an amusement park, yeah. she She was always looking for religion. She tried different things. Now she's very non-denominational. She's very... I think the way she believes is the best way, personally. She doesn't thump a Bible. She doesn't preach to people. She don't even go to church but she believes and she believes like you don't have to go to church you don't have to do this you don't have to do the rituals and say the words and hop on one foot and do this and do that you know God is not about that if God is real then God is everywhere and as long as you're a good person that counts and I like that about my mom and I like I mean hell look at me again I've When I was a kid, I was into heavy metal music, Dungeons and Dragons, and horror movies. I was the poster boy for 80s Satanic Panic. You should be a serial killer. Yeah, I'm surprised I'm not. That you know of. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and she just, she let me do my own thing. She knew I was a good person. She knew I wasn't killing cats in the backyard or anything like that. She never felt the need to save me or any of that horseshit.
0: I went through years where I was trying to, you know, find myself and find what fit for me. Um, like I said, I grew up very Christian. It was it was kind of annoying because it was Southern Baptist and it's all fire and you brimstone. You always have to wash your feet. No, <laughs> It's all uh, fire and brimstone and all of that. I've gone to a lot of different churches and different, like I've been to a snake handling service. We never did that. that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's not because (laughs) not because I was looking into it or anything, but I knew someone who went to a church where they did snake handling, and they invited me to go. And I've always been interested. And I was like, yeah, okay. I've been to you know Pentecostal churches. I've been to. There was actually a time in college when I went to an I went to an Episcopalian service, and that was kind of hilarious because I embarrassed myself there during communion, but. Would you piss your pants? I, no. Because <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. No, no, no. See, like, okay, in the, the Baptist church and then the Methodist church, which I've also uh, spent quite a bit of time in, there is when they do communion, they first pass around the little cups of juice. Mm-hmm and because they don't use real wine and then they pass around the wafers or the bread or whatever you're using. Were you doing cake stands? But what I was, no, what I was supposed to do is like you come up and everybody gets in a line, everybody's in a row and you know, the, the, Did you fart? The guy comes on, no, the guy comes along and puts the, the wafer in your hand and you're supposed to dip it in the cup of wine and then eat it. But I was, you know, the way I was always raised, You, everybody got their own little cup, mm-hmm. so I didn't realize that, and so I just popped it in my mouth, and he goes, oh, and I was like, uh-oh, so I pulled it back out, and then I dipped it in the oh. cup, and he goes, oh, God. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> and it was real wine, and I wasn't expecting that, so I was just like, Oh. It was. I thought it'd be great. It juice. was a mess, <laughs> but I uh, you heard a big booming voice. Get out! <laughs> and then I burst into flames. <laughs> uh, but he actually thought it was funny. He was just like, "It's okay. Don't worry about it." <laughs> and uh, I just, I don't know. I've always found a great deal of interest in going and seeing these things happen and learning more about how they happen. And uh, I've spent some time as a Wiccan. Uh, I, I explored yeah. uh, in my early years. I explored pretty much a little bit of everything, and then I kind of determined, yeah, I don't need <clears throat> well, any of that. Said you know, you put a spell on me. <laughs> I was just joking. Uh-huh. I was joking. <laughs> Yeah, I do find it really fascinating. And I actually think it's cool if people, you know, are involved in this stuff. But what I discovered is that uh, I'm not really a joiner. Yeah. I don't like to do things and, you know, go like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't want to have to get up every Sunday morning <laughs> and do something. My so thing is it's just, you know, I'm very much a doubter. I'm agnostic
1: in everything. Like ghosts, do they exist? Don't know, but it doesn't. I don't care, you know. Aliens? Do they exist? Don't know. I don't care, you know. Unless something appears before me, unless I have firsthand proof, I don't really believe in stuff and prescribe to it. I'm a very much show me kind of person, and that's my. Oh, you
0: should move to Minnesota.
1: Yeah, that's my big thing when it comes to religion. It's all based on faith, and I get that. I understand that. I just don't have it. I've often said, I wish I had faith. I think it would be comforting in mm-hmm. times of, you know, when things are down and you people die and you're sad or somebody you know has cancer. Or, you know, I think it would be nice to have something to fall back onto when things are bad. I don't. I just got to, you know, stay the course and do what I do. But I can't fake it either. I can't just pretend and Nor do
0: I want to, because well, no. then it wouldn't. It would be inauthentic.
1: That was um, always my big thing, because a lot of the Christians I knew and I grew up with, they are very lip service Christians. Mm-hmm. They're there on Sunday doing the hallelujahs and all that stuff. When but Saturday all, night they yeah, were out at the strip club. <laughs> all rest of the week they're doing nothing. But that one day a week, oh, I'm suddenly super Christian and I will be saved now. No, you're a fucking asshole. You know, six days out of a week, you're a dick. But that one day you say Hail Mary and that makes everything better? Fuck off.
0: Yeah, I was very young when I discovered the the hypocrisy in the church. And it kind of... It... It changed me like it changed my whole life now of course this is my opinion this is your opinion and our experiences and everyone's is going to be different and every church isn't bad and every christian isn't bad like that's not the way it is
1: but i think i am so fascinated by voodoo witchcraft you know whatever to me it's the same as christianity it is a a faith it is a belief and i know some people may get all bent out of shape over that but you know sorry that's how I feel. Yeah, you tell them. Anyways, as for this movie, uh, there's a lot of good dark magic, spookiness going on. You can tell whoever wrote it, uh, read stories. To, uh, what is it? Scary stories to tell in a dark because they took one of their most famous scary stories from there. And they do a riff on that here. It's the same thing they did in 976 Evil, another black magic movie I was thinking about covering, but I think we already covered that back in the day for our show. The characters are good. It's just it is a well-made film from start to finish. It is effective.
0: I totally agree, and that's exactly why I wanted to talk about it. So I say if you haven't seen it, go see it. And then once you do, let us know what you think. Yep. Yeah. But we have another movie to talk about. And that is yours. What are you talking about today?
1: Well, I'm talking about, you know, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. That's a joke. Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. Uh, Yes, I am not a big Rob Zombie fan. I know a lot of people are, and good for you. For me, Rob Zombie, he has a very impressive visual style. I will never take that away from him. Even if I don't always like it. Like, I think sometimes his movies look a bit too similar
0: He definitely has an aesthetic.
1: Yeah. I mean, and he leans a bit too heavy on it and he's a bit too afraid to deviate from it. But a lot of people like that. A lot of people respond to it. So, you know, good for you. I do not think he's a good writer. I never have. I don't think I ever will. I don't like his characters. I don't like his dialogue. I don't like that everything takes place in Rob Zombie World, which is set in the 1970s. No matter what the time around them is, all the characters, all the music, all the clothes, all the hair, everything, it's 1970s all the damn time. And, you know, again, that's fine if it doesn't bother you, or it's fine if you like that stuff, Me, I'd be like, you know, do that for a movie. You know, if you want to have a period piece, great. But, you know, there's other periods in history to explore. It just seems he's a bit too comfortable with that and a bit too afraid to let it
0: go. Maybe reliant on it because it's what he knows. Maybe, but I mean, art only grows by experimenting
1: and trying new stuff. You can't just do the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, I guess you can, and you can get some success from it, but it seems stunted to me. That being said, I do think he can make a really good film at times. I am a fan of his, uh, what the hell is Devil's Devil's Rejects. That's probably his best movie. And this one would be his second best for me, simply because he does try some new stuff here. It is not so 70 centric. There aren't, you know, characters just get over here, off skull fuck you, and what's the difference between jelly and jam? You can't jelly your dick up a dead girl's ass. <laughs> oh, dad. Or another Rob Zombie trope I like: everybody has massive Napoleon complexes. You watch his take on Halloween. And every motherfucker goes up to Michael Myers, this eight-foot-tall, four-foot-wide, 500-pound killing machine. And these little twerps will walk up to him and go, you better get out of here before I stomp your ass. And it's like, Rob Zombie, are you have some issues? Do you have some problems you're trying to work out? Nobody would see this mountain of a man and go, ooh! you better get out of here, unless they had a gun in their hand. Then I might say something, but otherwise I'd be, yep, you do what you want to do. I'm going over here.
0: Well, he also seems to be, I mean, you know, the old trope is you write what you know. Apparently he knows nothing but assholes because all of his characters come off as assholes. In this film, I don't think so, though. I think he was trying a lot of things
1: new. This movie doesn't look like any of his previous movies, and I like that.
0: This is like Rosemary's Baby Through the Lens of Ken Russell. Yes,
1: exactly. (laughs) Well, Rob Zombie himself describes this movie as if Ken Russell did The Shining.
0: Oh, he said that? Yes. Oh my God, I was making a joke. I didn't know he ever said that.
1: No, you can see his...
0: Well, I mean, I said when we were watching yeah. it, I'm like, you know, set design by Ken Russell. Yeah, you it's, can see it's his very obvious clearly. But I didn't know he did it on purpose. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, his characters
1: here—they're actual, real, decent characters, and not caricatures of white trash dipshits. You know, going around. I'm gonna skull fuck you. I mean, that shit just. It, yeah. Having a character like that, sure. Having every character like that gets a bit much. For me, again, this is my personal take on the guy. But here, you don't have anything like that. This is also, I think, Sherry Moon Zombie. I think this is the best she's ever been as far as being an actress. I never liked her baby character, even in Devil's Rejects. That's when she's at her best as that character, but even there, I don't really like that character.
0: Oh, I love Baby.
1: No, I don't. <laughs> we like to get fucked up and do fucked up. Oh, just whatever. She's not for me. Here, it shows she can do something more than just, you know, the Rob Zombie routine. And I like her character here. As far as the story, Sherry is the star. She's the main protagonist. She is a radio DJ with two others. One of them is Ken Foree from Dawn of the Dead and a bunch of other Rob Zombie movies. And the other one is, I forget his name, Jeff something.
0: Uh, He's got three names. Yeah. I don't remember what it. Jeff Christopher something.
1: He played Herman Munster in the recent uh, Rob Zombie Munsters movie. And they're basically like shock jocks. You know, they they make zany sound effects and they have little audio clips and they make jokes and they play music and they interview people and all that stuff.
0: They're like the morning crew, but they have an evening show, which is weird to me yeah. because you never hear that stuff at night on the radio. But this is Salem. Maybe they do things differently. I don't know. Yeah. And that's another... it's bizarre. But it's those morning characters that annoy the piss out of me. Yeah.
3: The zoo
1: crew and all that stuff. And that's another good point. This takes place in actual Salem, Massachusetts. It was actually filmed there. And as everybody should hopefully know, that is in America, our big witchcraft town. It's where the Salem witch trials took place. And that actually plays a part in this story. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she gets a record sent to her and it's in a big wooden box and there's all these occult rituals written all over it and it's from the lords that's it and she's like huh that's strange so she plays it and it it's very weird it's a very eclectic sound design i guess it's not even what i would call traditionally music but it's effective i like the way it sounds and it has an effect Uh, Later, they play it on the air, and every woman from Salem who hears it gets sort of mesmerized by Mm
0: -hmm. it. I like it uh, as a viewer. It's designed with just the right amount of bass or something in there gets in there, and I don't know if it affected you this way, but I can kind of feel it in my guts. Well, I'm not a woman,
1: so it didn't affect me.
0: (laughs) But it... It gets in your, it gets inside and makes you feel uncomfortable. Oh well,
1: yeah, it's a bunch of dissident tones that are put together. It's playing the devil's tricord and all that stuff, and it works. But I'm also a sucker, and I've said this a bunch of times, for haunted or cursed media. You know,
0: evil oh, yeah, films, me
1: too. evil records. In this case, evil books. I love all that shit. You know, the the idea that this can be imparted by something as simple as an inanimate object. But it has a very real effect on you. And then you can have, you know, there's usually an interesting backstory on the background behind it and all that stuff. And here, well, back in ye old Salem witchcraft times, there was a coven of witches. A coven of the most nasty dirty, horrible looking witches you ever did see. It's like and you did bring a point that I thought, oh, maybe that's what he's going for. You know, the old saying, cleansliness is next to godliness. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because these motherfuckers, it looks like they roll around in shit. <laughs> and they're just nasty for the sake of being nasty. And I'm like, Jesus, what? nobody has a bathtub back in Salem times. But, you know, their teeth are all rotten, their flesh is all saggy and withered, there's dirt everywhere, soap has never touched the hair on their head, and they're horrible people. They're giving birth to babies and spitting on them and, you know, just, Satan, hail Satan, take this baby, and all that
0: stuff. Uh, led by Meg Foster. Yeah,
1: and she's awesome because, I mean, right from the bat, she has those eyes going for her that always look mystic and mystifying.
0: But yeah, he takes it. uh, He takes the idea of the crone all the way to the highest level. I mean, every one of these These witches are the croniest
1: crones you ever crone.
0: (laughs) But it gives them—they're scary. Yeah, they—they come across very scary. Yeah, and very dirty.
1: And very dirty. But uh, anyways, there was a a coven of witches in Salem. And somebody stamped them out for Jesus and killed them all. Hawthorne. What? John Hawthorne. Yeah. Well, they're back. And they're the ones behind this record because this is the song that they would play. And yes, it is a almost, it's a curse on Salem. That's why it affects all the women of Salem. And unbeknownst to her, Sherry Moon Zombie is playing a part in this. She also has an apartment and... One of her neighbors, room five, has been empty for, you know, X number of months or years. They can't rent that place. Yet she sees somebody living there. And even the landlady is like, no, there's nobody up there. I haven't rented it. I don't know what you're talking about. But she sees somebody in the room. So there's something going on with there. She's also seeing visions. She's also not seeing some visions. Because there's times where you can see these witchy people in the background in her apartment. Like in the corner looking at her. Yet she doesn't notice them at all. But we, the audience, see them.
0: I think that's very effective. I really like that.
1: The actual story is not much there. It's very basic bitch when it comes to witchcraft and that's fine rob zombie like i said excels at the visual and that's what he leans into big time here despite all his grindhouse shenanigans in uh house of a thousand corpses and all that stuff i think this is the most visually interesting film by far
0: and there are some striking visuals, and not just the set design and no. things like that. No, but he has an, his l- use of lighting in this oh, yeah. film. Um, it is very, I've
1: heard some people describe this as
0: his take on shallow films. I don't
1: think it is at all, except for the color palette and the the use of light and dark and, you know, colors, basically. But the story itself, it's not jello-related at all.
0: There are several dream sequences yes. or vision sequences that are striking um, and even blasphemous, you oh, know. Yeah. And There's uh, a
1: whole bunch of jacking off priests in this movie. There's priests wanting to get blowjobs. Of course, Rob Zombie is going out of his way to be, you know, shocking because that's what he does.
0: Well, and that's what, you know, uh, Satan would do, would yeah. fly in the face of... Christianity, And I like, there's, there's a, a, a small scene here where she's taking a walk with her dog, Troy, whom I love. Troy's great. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, she feels the need. She doesn't know why, but there's a church and she goes into the church. And she's like, I just, and the priest comes over to talk to her. And she's like, I just, uh, I wanted to come in and sit down and think. Yeah, And so she's drawn to it. And traditionally... The church is a safe haven. It's it's a safe... Uh, when the it's, devil... It's sanctuary.
1: When the devil is after you, you go to the church. Right. Because he can't go in there.
0: But what I like about this is they get to her. Yeah. Even in the church. Mm-hmm. There is nowhere she can go. And they don't outright say it. No one says, there's nowhere you can go. They get to you everywhere. No, Even he, in a church. <laughs> he shows you. Yeah. He doesn't tell you. And that's really good. I like that a lot. It's very subtle. But it's, you know, I mean, what goes on there isn't subtle. But the message that he is getting across is that there is no help. There's nowhere she can go.
1: And that's another thing. I think this is Rob Zombie at his most subtle as far as storytelling goes. And another thing I'm always going railing about is I like that. I don't like when people beat me over the head with their message. Even great filmmakers, I think, are amazing, like George Romero are guilty of doing that shit, at least later on in his career. So, I like that there's some restraint there. But he also embraces the wackiness and the craziness of his visuals. You get midget, baby, Satan monsters. You get goat riding. Again, you get the jacking off priests, which is awesome. Uh, You get, you know... The witch's sabbat. You get a big hairy Satan, which I like because that's a different look for the devil than what you usually get. And you're visually assaulted. And it's very much like Ken Russell film Mm -hmm. in that regard.
0: And I like that that's what he
1: was going for and that's what he delivered.
0: Ken Russell is a director who also relies heavily on the visual. And it can be off-putting to some people. Yes. But I actually really enjoy his filmmaking. I, I like the, the fact that he, t- or, oh, um, Altered States is one. I think that he doesn't tell you a whole lot in that movie. You have to figure a lot of that stuff out well, for yourself, but it's visually there. That's
1: the difference between Ken Russell and Rob Zombie. In my humble opinion, I think Ken Russell is a much better writer. That even when he's off the wall with his visual aesthetic, there's still something There's still meat on the bones. There's still enough story there to interest me. Uh, This movie is the very essence of style over substance, but I like the style a lot. Again, I give Rob Zombie credit for stepping outside of his comfort zone and embracing this new subgenre that he was trying to do. I think he does it very well. I enjoy this film. I, like I say, I like the characters. I like the effects. I like the visual aesthetic. You get Dee Wallace being awesome here. Again, you get Meg Foster. You also got a bunch of actors who, for some reason, got cut. And that pisses me off. Yeah, like Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton, she's credited. But instead of a, you know, she has one Three-second shot in the movie, she doesn't say anything. It's just her sitting there being mesmerized by the music. You don't get Barbara Crampton to do that shit. You give her something. Sid Haig is credited in here. Unless he's one of the masked jacking-off priests, I don't know who the fuck he is. I never saw him. Yeah. No. And there was somebody else who I saw. Uh, there. Michael Berryman. Yeah. I was like... Where the fuck was he? So, a lot of the Rob Zombie regulars, and I do, I give Zombie credit for that. I like when a director gets people, actors that they're familiar with, and they like working with, and they do more things. Carpenter did that a lot. A lot of directors do, you know, you get a shorthand with an actor, You, you become... You know they're reliable. You know they can deliver the goods. So, yeah, why not use them to do more stuff?
0: Bruce Davison, I always feel bad for him because I think he, as an actor, is much better than his career would be yeah. He has been reduced to, you know, small parts in B movies for the most part. But I've always liked him, and I think he does an excellent job in this yeah. film, and he's a great character. I love his character here. And uh, it's one of those, uh, he's kind of like the Halloran of, of this world. Also, but he's also the
1: expert when it comes to witchcraft and all that stuff. He knows, he's the first one to recognize there's something strange about the song, and so he begins to look into it on his own, and... Of course, that leads to no good for him. Uh, Meanwhile, Sherry Moon Zombie keeps getting all these visions... And she is being enticed by the devil, by the evil... And she's getting possessed. Not like a demon jumping in her and having her, you know... Let Jesus fuck you! But she is getting taken over and she's getting seduced. And the cult has plans for her, specifically but also all the women of Salem. And, you know, it's it's a good story. I don't think this movie is anything amazing, but I think it is solidly good, with a lot of, I will say the visuals, if anything, are amazing. You know, they're a bit wacky at times. Uh, they can be a bit much, but I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, I also really enjoy the score. Oh, yeah. Uh, not just the record, which i do love but just the score in general it's they and he takes uh the there's the heartbeat that he takes Mm -hmm. from the shining you know you can and i think that's used very effectively uh i just i really enjoy pretty much all of the production no i gotta
1: say the score is good the soundtrack is basically rob zombie 101 Everything from the 70s, because, of course, there is no music after the 1970s. Everybody knows (laughs) that. Again, he can't escape all his tropes, but, you know, he escaped a lot of them here. Good on him. He's growing, at least he was.
0: Yeah, I always considered this film as a lot of style and the story seemed to take a back seat to the visuals, which was fine with me because I don't have a problem with that. No. I mean, film is a visual medium and if you can rely on that and, you know, produce something effective with that, I'm fine with that. But what I did notice here uh, on this watch, and this is the, at least the fourth time I've seen it, possibly the fifth, but I know it's at least the fourth. I did notice this time that I think there is more to the story, at least as far as, Uh, things that i didn't even really pay attention to before uh the heidi's character the sherry moon zombie character heidi she has a history with drug abuse which plays into this in that when things start going weird with her the people who know her best assume that she has fallen off the wagon and they think that's what's wrong you know i like I like the use of that. And I really just feel for her. She's such a good character. Yeah. I just, I really like her in this. And honestly, all the people. I mean, really, the only unlikable people here are the The evil people. people. And that's the way it should be. be. So I think he nailed it uh, this time around. And this is actually, uh, I love The Devil's Rejects. This is my favorite Rob Zombie film.
1: Well, I was gonna say, this is just a step behind The Devil's Rejects for me. I still think The Devil's Rejects is Rob Zombie at his absolute best because it's he is still doing what he likes to do, what he's most comfortable doing, but he is pushing it to the best possible limit, I think. He is doing it at the maximum.
0: And he's an interesting director for me in that I am he's kind of hit or miss. I have fun watching House of a Thousand Corpses. I don't. I don't think it's good. Really all that, you know, I don't think it's a great film, but I do enjoy watching it. I absolutely love The Devil's Rejects. I absolutely love Lords of Salem. I'm not a fan of Halloween. No. However, I will say I enjoy the first part of Halloween. It's when he gets to his version of the John Carpenter part that I don't that I no longer like it. And that's because I don't like the characters. I you don't see? like Laurie. I don't like any of her friends. I just I don't think they're good characters.
1: Well there's that, but it's also I hate the character assassination of Michael Myers. Well yeah. I think he fucks that character up. I don't think he has an idea of what makes that character cool. Well makes him iconic and he just makes him another big serial killer guy who tortured pets and had mommy issues.
0: Right. Which is why I don't like the I don't like the actual remake portion of it. But I think that if you watch the beginning of the film, if you want to tell a story about a, you know, the origin of a serial killer, I think that's a really good it's a really good story. But yeah, then but when you just... get to the actual Michael Myers parts and and Lori and her friends, I it falls apart. But that whole
1: first part is just cliche
0: after cliche after cliche. Yeah, cliche. but he does it I'm well. I'm surprised
1: he's not pissing his pants in bed and you know, setting fires everywhere.
0: Yeah, but he does it well. I no, think it's done he well. Doesn't. And, you know, I'm I'm okay with that. But I've never been a fan of El Superbisto. No. Uh I, I actually don't hate that. I just It just didn't interest me. But I don't like 31. No. Uh, but I actually like... Three from Hell? Yeah, I actually like Three from Hell quite I don't. a bit. <laughs> At all. Uh, so yeah, I am not a big Rob
1: Zombie fan. But it's not like I have anything against him personally. Hell, personally... I think he's a cool dude. Everything I've ever seen him... And I love his music. Yeah. Everything I've ever seen him say as far as interviews or, you know, popping up in various horror docs and all that stuff, he seems like a good dude. He seems like a smart guy. He seems like he really likes horror. I just think, unfortunately for him, he kind of got pigeonholed. I have nothing against House of a Thousand Corpses. That's the story he wanted to tell, and that's how he wanted to tell it. I don't think it's all that great, but he has the right to do it and make it however he wants. I just think that for some reason, that kind of movie became his trademark. I mean, that's why I would like to have seen him do stuff like he was always talking about doing a hockey movie. I would like to see that. I would like to see Rob Zombie do something else. But, you know... Unfortunately, Hollywood don't work that way. No one's going to give Rob fucking zombie money to make a hockey movie. Yeah. It's like, no, give us, you know, crazy chainsaw midgets and clown makeup and, you know, just off the wall silliness. Because that's what you do, Rob Zombie. So do that. And that's kind of a fucking change.
0: Another thing he does that I really love is it's virtually the same thing Tarantino does in that he, you know, drags out actors that you haven't seen in forever, blows the dust off of them and lets them go to town. And I appreciate that. I love the fact that he used Meg Foster and Bruce Davison. And, of course, he has his regular stable of actors that he uses, but he always brings people in because he's a fan yes. he's a fan of them so he brings them into his work just like Tarantino does and I think that's fantastic and it's clear he is a huge horror fan he knows his stuff yes you know um, I well, appreciate his... that about him
1: <laughs> he changed his last name to zombie he better be a huge he horror fan he wasn't born
0: with that last no, name? no believe it or not he will, that's a, that's a <laughs> fake name <laughs> I you know I respect him for that Ain't that right
1: Robert Cummings <laughs>
0: So does that mean that Spider One is also not named Spider One? Yeah,
1: believe it or not. What? I know it's strange.
0: <laughs> Blow my mind. Uh, no, I I do have a, a great deal of respect for him as far as him being a legitimate horror fan and loving the genre and doing what he does. And I also and like It doesn't his... always work for me, but uh, you know, a lot of times it does. And I also
1: like his music much better than his films. Oh, I really love his music. But again, I don't hold that against anyone. If your favorite director is Rob Zombie, more power to you. I mean, enjoy his stuff. It's just ninety percent of the time, it's not for me. However, here it is.
0: Yeah, on I case really of point, really love. We this. own
1: the movie on Blu-ray. I think we only own two, or at least I did. I think you brought the uh, House of a Thousand Horses. Yeah. into our collection, but uh. Yeah, I always had Devil's Reject and Lords of Salem, and that's it. I mean, I wish I liked more of this stuff. I just really, really do
0: not. Well, now we have House of a Thousand Corpses and Three from Hell. Oh,
1: that's right. I got that for review. <laughs> and even, I was like, you want to keep this? And you're like,
0: yeah. And
1: I'm like, okay.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess we can. But yeah.
0: We don't have 31. No. And I'm okay with that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm perfectly fine. Oh, and we have the Halloween remakes. Yeah. Just because they're Halloween and we kind of have to. But I just, I really don't like them. But yeah, this is Rob Zombie leaning into his visual aesthetic, but even taking that to different, again, it's not 70s grindhouse here. This is more like 80s Ken Russell type of a thing. And it works really well. Uh, I like the actors. I like their acting. As I said, I think this is Sherry Moon at her best, uh, by far. It's a good experience. You know, I am not a fan of the story all that much, because I just don't think there's a a lot here. It is basic. But the story never pisses me off. It never does anything too stupid. It never has these, you know, I'm gonna skull-fuck you! (laughs) And... All the Rob Zombie bullshit that I don't like. I wish this movie would have done better. Maybe it would have opened more doors for him. Maybe it would have gave him more uh, courage and resolve to do different and more things other than just falling back on his tried and true. And let's face it, that is the very essence of 31. He couldn't make the movie he wanted to make. He wanted to make some money... (laughs) So he knocked out 31 in record time. I mean, even him, if I remember correctly, he's not all that stoked about that movie. No,
0: he said he wrote that script in about five minutes or something. I mean, and, you know, that
1: shows. He was still trying to do his hockey movie. But again, nobody's going to hire Rob Zombie to do a hockey movie. So he had to do what he had to do. I will never, ever uh, blame somebody for making a living. You know, you do what you got to do to make a living, to make money, to, you know, continue. But I wish he would do, or I at least had the chance, to do something more than just his same old, same old.
0: Well, and he did that with The Munsters. I mean, he actually made a family-friendly movie with that. And the unfortunate thing there is he was still hamstrung. Yeah, He wanted, and the one complaint that has been consistent about that film is how it sucks. is how no one was happy with the fact that it was in color yeah even though his use of color uh, is beautiful yeah. i think mean, it looks gorgeous but and he didn't want to either he wanted to make it black and white because that's the monsters, the monsters. Yeah. Uh, even though the movies that came out you know the tv movies and whatever they were in color but this the show was in black and white and i think if he had been able to do that it would have come off better. Even then, there are things that didn't completely work about that for me, but there were a lot of things that did. Like, I loved the whole Nos- Nosferatu character. That was when, the one good when
1: thing. When she goes about on a movie. date
0: with him, I thought that was hilarious. I, you know, there are things about it I like. Nosferatu being the only one. The uh, <laughs> that, Yeah, and the main thing I didn't like is that it took us until the very end of the film to get to the neighborhood. Yeah. And then it was over. And I'm like, well, shit, that's the part that that's the part that's most interesting to me is them in their whole fish out of water. Uh I mean, that's, that was the backbone of the show. So that's unfortunate, but you know, I do, I do still think it was clear that he was a fan of that and his recreation of the house was insane. Uh Unfortunately, he didn't get to spend any time Uh there, but it, you know, he did a really good job and you know, so he did do that. Which was a little bit different than what he's used to. There's nobody skull-fucking anybody in that movie. That we see. But unfortunately, I don't think it had a very good reception. No. So, again, we're probably not going to get...
1: Monsters, m- ...more of
0: that again. Yeah. But which I am fine with. In a way, I kind of feel bad for him because I think he does have a lot of talent, at least as a director. Not necessarily as a writer, but as a director, he has a lot of talent. And he just can't seem to find his footing...
1: Well, that kind of stuff always reminds me of history lesson time for the younger listeners out there. Back in the 90s, a bunch of talented comic book artists, they were really good at drawing, and they were working for Marvel in DC, but they didn't feel like they were getting their fair share. So they started, they left and started their own comic book company, and all these artists were writing their own stories with their own characters. And they pretty much all sucked my asshole. (laughs) Even the best one amongst them was Spawn. Even that wasn't very good. Todd McFarlane would become a a little bit better at writing, but this is a prime example. Just because you're good at one artistic form doesn't mean you're going to be good at the other. Rob Zombie, he's good at music. He's good at visuals. He should stick to that. He should have somebody else write scripts for him. Because majority of my problem with Rob Zombie is his writing. I just don't like it. I think it's horrible, to be honest. I would love to see him direct some... Take a good writer. Take Flanagan. Have him do a script for Rob Zombie. And then have Rob Zombie direct the movie. That would be interesting to me. Everybody thinks writing is easy. Everybody thinks storytelling is easy. Because it's a very basic part of, you know, even back in caveman times, there were people telling stories. And anybody can tell a story, but that's like saying anybody can draw a stick figure, so therefore everybody can be an artist. No, it just doesn't work that way. Everybody can physically sing. Not everybody should. (laughs) I have no musical talent at all I could not carry a tune with a wheelbarrow so I'm not going to be a rock star you know know your role know what you're good at and play up those strengths or at the very least I guess maybe you can try to do something but I think what would be best for Rob Zombie is to get a good story a good script and direct that I would be interested in seeing that from him I would too but I'm really not interested in seeing whatever grindhouse 70s skull fucking throwback he does for the next time. And maybe he'll surprise the hell out of me. Maybe he'll, you know, he will do something different or he will take another chance. I just don't see that. And I, again, I don't necessarily blame him for that because, you know, people get pigeonholed. Hell, I'm known as the Cthulhu guy. And I like Cthulhu, and I like Lovecraft a lot, but I also like more than that. And even the books I do, I've done more than that, but it is hard. You know, when I'm dealing with publishers, they're first thing to, hey, what can you do for Lovecraft with me, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but I have ideas for this and that, and it has nothing to do with Cthulhu mythos or cosmic horror or anything like that. And they're like, yeah, but, you know...
0: But that's who you are. Yeah, could you do another Cthulhu book? That's what you're (laughs) known for. Yeah.
1: So I get that. But, yeah, as it stands right now, I like his Devil's Rejects, and I really like this movie. But that's about it. But again, that's just me and my opinion on him. As far as this movie goes, yeah, I do recommend it. Uh, The story is no great shakes, But it's not bad, it's just pretty basic. But the visuals and everything that goes along with it, I love the look of the evil, masturbating Satan priests. I like when Sherry Moon Zombie's riding around on a goat because, ooh, Satan. There's a lot of good visual eye candy in this movie, but it's not so extreme or taken to Rob Zombie's safe space to where it's just like, okay, I've seen this before, let's move on. It is very much his take on a Ken Russell film, and I'm fine with that. I'm more than fine with that.
0: Yeah, I'll, I will agree with that. And this one, incidentally, is also available on Tubi. What a surprise! So if you don't have it or access to it, you can do a double feature of both the films we talked about today on Tubi. Yep. Not a sponsor. No. <laughs> Not a sponsor. We just really like them. (laughs) Both
1: good movies. Both good black magic movies. Um, Both of them I really enjoy.
0: Well, that will close out the film section. And let's get into some bumps.
1: Okay. Bumps in a
0: Night. Okay, kids, we've got something fun for you today. Hail Satan! <laughs> this is a uh, another reaction. Uh, people seem to really enjoy the last one that we did when we reacted to the sixty minutes special on horror films. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> sixty minutes is a treasure trove yep. of bullshit. You know, I mean, I'm not saying everything they do is bullshit, but they do have some Especially great bullshit. <laughs> In the 80s. Yeah. This is a 1985 special Woo-hoo! about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, hell yeah. Is Dungeons and Dragons Evil. Well, I'm yes. not exactly yes, sure is. what their point of view is on this. I actually, I believe, full disclosure, I think I have watched this before. I think I have But to. it was years ago. Yes, I can't so remember anything. So I don't know where they're going to go with it. Uh, I can't remember anything, so this is going to be a true reaction.
1: At a guess, I would say they're probably going to fear-monger, because that's what they did back in the 80s. That was the whole reason these shows existed. You know, you had Geraldo and
0: 60 Minutes
1: and everybody. Oh, dear Lord, Satan's coming for you and taking your kids and...
0: One of these days we should do the uh, Geraldo uh, Satanic Panic one. Yeah, that, that would was be awesome, super fun. But it's also it's long. It is like long. Two hours. It is long. Yeah,
1: might do that for patrons.
0: But yeah, all right. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, sure. Let's. Let me get my dice and let me get some pens and paper and. My pointy wizard hat. Mm. Let's do it.
0: Real quick, for those who don't know, uh, Brian has been a lifelong player of Dungeons & Dragons since you were, what, 10? Yeah, about that, yeah. He still plays with the same group he's played with all those years.
3: That's awesome. Uh,
0: I When I moved up here, I started playing with them. I had a history with D&D, not as extensive as Brian's, but I did have experience with D&D, and now I have become part of their group. We still play every other weekend when Give or take. when it's permitted, you know, yeah. when time permits. And uh, I don't think either of us have ever killed anyone or committed suicide. That you know about. That I know of.
1: So, yeah, uh, d d as some listeners will know, I do occasionally write stuff and all that. And D&D for me was my way of telling stories before I started writing them out. It is a good time. It is a fun time. I love the hobby. We've been doing it forever. Me and my group of friends has been together since, you know, like you said, around 10 years old. We come, we go. People have died, unfortunately, or moved away. Other people have come into the group. We now have wives and girlfriends who are into it. We now have kids. Yeah.
0: Actually, yeah, there are three generations who currently play with us now.
1: Yeah. My two best friends in the whole world are... Tommy and Derek. Hey, guys. And I've known them since the first grade. They're brothers. And we always did stuff together. We're always into horror movies and, you know, whatever. And as a kid, we heard about D&D, and it looked cool, so we started playing it. They are very religious. Their family has always been very religious. And that's great. Whatever. But, again, they are not the Bible-thumping, the-devils-coming-for-everybody kind of dipshits. However. At this time, d was a new thing and did have a lot of people worried. So what I did not know at the time was... When we would play as kids, we would go into a bedroom and play and all that stuff. Their father would listen in on us just to make sure we weren't worshipping Satan or sacrificing cats and all that. And he actually enjoyed what we were doing. He liked the game and the stories and the characters... He liked us so much, he asked to join us. He's like, hey, can I play? And that is just weird. I was DMing uh, dungeon mastering or game mastering or whatever you want to call it. Not only my friends, but their fr- my friend's father. And he's been with us from the beginning. He's always played with us. He's still around and he still plays. And yeah, that came from him. You know, if you're going to be questioning or worried Fine. That's that's perfectly reasonable. You don't know what this is. It sounds scary. And you care
0: about your kids. Yes. You want to know what they're doing. So, you know, pay attention
1: to the kids and what they're doing. Hell, if that would have happened to the Columbine kids, we might not have had Columbine. But he paid attention. He liked what we were doing and he joined us. And I always got a kick out of that.
0: Yeah, and now Derek's son, who is grown, um, he plays with us. So there are three generations in this group, and I love that. I love it. And around the same time that you started playing, roughly, is when this would have come out. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of interesting. Like I said, I was
1: the poster boy for Satanic Panic. I did everything you shouldn't do back in the 80s. And, you know... I think I turned out fine, as far as you know.
0: I mean, I'm fond of you. Well, thanks. But I'm really no better.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It gives us a reason to still get together. How many people still see their friends regularly from 40 years ago? Not many. I know it's not many, because I talk to other players and gamers and all that, and I tell them, yeah, I've had my group together for 40 years, and they're like, wow, oh my god, that's... And like I say, people come and go and stuff like that, but we still get together. We still, you know, have some beers, eat some pizza, throw some dice, and have a good time. And that's all it is. There's nothing Satanic. Even if you play, I mean, there are some games where you do play bad guys, and there are. there's a game called Call of Cthulhu. It's all based off Lovecraft stuff, so it's all horror-centric and, you know... If you play that game, you will die, or you will go insane. It's just a matter of time. But nobody takes it seriously. Nobody worships the great old ones, or the devil, or... It's just a bunch of old biddies with far too much time on their hands, and not enough common sense. It's the same kind of thing. Speaking of Columbine, it's the same thing, you know... Oh, those kids, they once played a game called Doom... Therefore, Doom is the reason they shot up their school. Yeah, bullshit.
0: Or Marilyn Manson. Or Marilyn Manson, or
1: this, or that.
0: Pick your poison. They're going to find something to blame it on. But you guys are all aware of that. You've been around. And as horror fans, you've experienced it, I'm sure. So, you ready?
1: Yeah, sure. Let me get my nerd
0: on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Now, uh, I will give a trigger warning here. There will likely be some Angry Brian. I'm and try. likely some angry Jamie. I I'm get pissed tr- off at this stuff, yeah. too.
1: I'm going to try not to. I don't want to become a stereotype. I don't want to <laughs> become a meme or anything.
0: No, but- it is just who you are and it's entertaining. Mm. Okay. Okay, here we go.
1: Here we go.
4: It's D&D and it's become popular with children anywhere from grammar school on up. Not so with a lot of adults who think it's been connected to a number of suicides and murders. Fuck you. The idea of the game, which is played by highly <laughs> imaginative game. and intelligent kids, is huh? to assume the role of At one of the characters. At least they got that right. One game can go on for weeks or even months. Or the years. The problem seems to be that some kids take it Decades. more seriously than others. Take it a step further, playing a character who brings them the power in a game they couldn't possibly get in real life. About two months ago,
3: a green <laughs> eyeball was seen up in the sky. This eyeball was so big it blotted out in the sun. Okay?
4: These young people are playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's an
1: a- Uh right now they're showing a group of kids that look like high schoolers all sitting around a table, uh throwing their funny shaped dice and talking about goblins and fighters and wizards and etc.
2: Hobos and Hobos and
1: <laughs> Floopy Floops or are-
0: <laughs> Flea Flop and the dupe... Uh, no Glee glop and the floop, fl- glee glop and the floopty doos. <laughs> That's from role models. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And this is uh, 1985. Those kids look like they're from the 70s. Mm. <laughs> like it's just, it's it's kind of great. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I had longer hair, but yeah, you know, I I was part of them, so I can relate. An enormously complicated game in which
4: each player chooses an imaginary character you'll assume there are dwarfs knights and thieves gods and devils magic and spells it's a journey into a land of fantasy through complicated mazes where you use your wits to kill your enemies before they kill you all in a quest for wealth and power the dungeon master orchestrates and referees the game, creating scenarios both complicated and terrifying. There is no board, only the dice. <laughs> I've never seen dice like this. All different four-sided. sides. What's Six-sided. A, what's the what's point and in that? What,
1: what's? there for uh, different things. The four-sided is used mainly for damage from a dagger and dart. and. Ma- They're for worshiping Satan, duh. <laughs> Obviously, that's why they're so weird.
0: I love how he gets into this is uh, the four sided die is usually (laughs) for damage from dagger. Like the dude doesn't care about those details. He's just, you know, why different? And it's easy. It's very simple. They have different sides for different numbers. You know, like sometimes you want to roll up to 20. So Mm -hmm. you have a 20 sided die. Sometimes you only need to roll up to four. So you have a four sided die. It's not that hard.
1: But, you know, everybody knows four is the number for Satan. ...users hit points. Hit
3: points is the damage that you can take before you die.
4: If- there are those who are fearful that the game in the hands of vulnerable kids could do harm. And there is evidence that seems to support that view. Fuck you. Timothy Rice, 21. Shotgun suicide. The detective report noted D&D became a reality. Okay. Irving, okay.
0: Wait a minute. And what? Because how often do you use a shotgun? yeah in D, &D. like Uh, that's some bullshit but it's also (sighs) i mean there are guns you can have i have a revolver yeah but i don't ever use it
1: (laughs) back around this time there was a famous story it was actually inspiration for a movie called mazes and monsters which uh tom hanks is in it's one of his earliest i love that movie so much that movie's awesome but the idea is somebody, you know, became obsessed with d and they started seeing monsters in real life and they went down to the tunnels underneath their college and did a whole bunch of horrible stuff and blah, blah, blah. It has since come out, like many of this satanic panic bullshit, like the whole McMartin trial about the preschool and they're, oh, they're
0: raping babies. Michelle remembers.
1: Yeah. Fucking. That's why I hate repressed memory bullshit in fiction and well it's junk and all. science it, it has is. been proven to be junk science but so many people believed in it and so many people had their lives ruined because of it. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. A college kid in Michigan, yay, Michigan, was playing DD, did go down in a tunnels and did kill himself. And he, you know, like I said, he played D D, but it's not cause and effect. It's not like I play D&D, therefore I'm going to go kill myself or other people or anything like that. It's the exact same thing like the Columbine, you know, oh, they listen to Merrill Manson, therefore he's the reason they shot people. You could say the same thing if a kid killed himself wearing a uh, Yankees hat, do you blame the Yankees? Well, he was a Yankees fan, and they lost a game last week. Therefore, he killed himself because he was so upset that they lost a game. You know, if somebody had a cassette of Dolly Parton, you know, in the general vicinity of them doing something bad, are you going to blame Dolly Parton? Well, it's clear he was obsessed with Dolly Parton, and that's what all this horseshit is. So when you get a statement like, and the detective noted that he became obsessed with D&D. That's bullshit. I have looked into this. I have never, ever, not once, seen any solid evidence. All these kids who killed themselves, and going to I'm sure they're going to have more, because, oh, they became obsessed with D&D. Never have they ever left a note, not once, saying... I'm killing myself because my character in D&D died. Or I'm killing myself because my character in D&D was evil and he sold his soul, so I'm selling my soul to Satan. Or I'm killing myself because my friends won't let me play with them anymore. Or anything like that. It has never happened.
0: No, I mean, the, the sad reality is that teenagers, just like adults sometimes commit suicide yes. for very dark and sad yes. reasons. They have things going on in their own lives, but it doesn't mean they did it because they played D&D.
1: But it's a handy scapegoat, especially for the parents. And I understand that. They are sad. They are upset. Their kid just killed themselves. They're looking for answers. They want something to blame. Just like the parents of the kids who go shoot up schools, they want a reason heaven forbid they look in the mirror at anything they've done or, more specifically, didn't do with their kids and, you know, stop to consider maybe this is why. But no, it's got to be something else. It's got to be heavy metal music. It's got to be horror movies. It's got to be fucking Dungeons and Dragons. One of the nerdiest things you could ever do. I can feel the anger rising in me.
0: (laughs) I told you. Yeah, I'm going to
1: try to keep it. Keep it uh, contained. But I make no promises. 16, an avid d
4: d player, a suicide. Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12, a murder and a suicide. The police said they were obsessed with the game. James Allen Kirby, 14 years old, charged with killing his junior high school principal and wounding three other people. Police are blaming D&D. Of course. Jeffrey Jackson, 14. Stephen Waiacano, 16. Michael Dempsey, 17. And the list goes on. The company that makes the Dungeons & Dragons material is TSR Incorporated of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Ooh, that's old school. They estimate there are 3 to 4 million kids who play the game. Last year, they grossed nearly $30 million with Dungeons & Dragons books and paraphernalia accounting for most of those sales. Gary Gygax owns the company and invented the game. Dieter Sturm is the head of public relations. There are a number of cases that have been documented where there is some connection between D&D. not saying that D&D is the cause of the death, but paraphernalia from the game has been found at the scene of the death. Notes, suicide notes referring to the game have been found.
1: Did they say this is why? Was there anything even... Rem- Again, I've looked for shit like that. And play devil's advocate here. It is possible somebody could be playing DD, They could not have a good grasp on shit or just, you know, whatever reason. They have some sort of mental deficiency. And they use this as a reason to do what they do.
0: Well, it's like the Mazes and, Maze and Monsters kid. He had mental problems like he that was him it's not the game it's them
1: a guy famously shot ronald reagan because he thought jodie foster would be impressed by that do we gotta blame jodie foster for that do we have to blame the movies she's in right but again it's it's easy to scapegoat something like this because it is new because it is weird and unknown and, because it is a niche. I mean, they said, at this time, you know, three to 5,000 people are playing D&D. Oh, a million. Or a million, that's right. And, uh, yeah, I could see that. What's funny is,
2: it's nowadays, bigger now. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: fucking huge. But, uh, yeah. If you have 3 to 5 million people doing something, sure, some people in that group are gonna do bad shit. That's like, if you have 3 to 5, uh... Three to five million, get ready people. <laughs> Three to five million black people in an organization. Some of them are going to do bad shit. Are you going to blame all black people? Make them white. If you're an asshole, you will. Oh, yeah, there's
0: all these <laughs>
1: assholes out there. Make them gay. Are you going to blame gay people? All gay people are murderers. Are you, you know, make them left handed. Everybody who's left-handed must be a murderer. It's just, it's, it's not science at all. It's not factual. It's bullshit. The fact that so many people got wrapped up in this. I mean, you see this shit and you look at it and go, well, you know, that was a long time ago. It wasn't for me. Not for, for a, me. For a lot of people, sure, it was a long time ago. We obviously can't be like that nowadays. Yeah, nowadays we have QAnon. We have crazy fuckers going into pizza joints because they think Hillary Clinton worships the devil and fucks kids at a pizza joint. I mean, just.
0: Oh, humans don't change. I mean, you go all the way back to. uh,
1: Stupidity has always been there and it always will be.
0: Take it back to in the early years of America, the witch trials. Yes, Even before that, the Inquisition. Yes. It's. There has always been that mentality that some people have, and they take it, and then they run with it. And the sad part is, hundreds of years later, we as a species are no better. Yeah. And it happens now. It's still, like you mentioned, it's still happening, but just with different things.
1: You look at stuff around this time in Britain, you had the whole video nasties. Yep. You look at it, and you chuckle, and you go, oh, ho, ho. People were just so silly back then. You know, banning horror movies because they're going to rot the young minds and bring about the downfall of blah, 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 blah. Again, that's not that long ago. Not in the grand scheme of things. And I'm not just saying that because I feel old right now. <laughs> it's it's amazing how it it always comes back around to bullshit.
0: The majority of our listeners right now remember the satanic panic that went into the 90s. Yeah. You know, so it's this is all stuff that happened within our lifetime. Mhm. So it's it's really not that long ago and sadly like I said we haven't gotten much better. And this
1: is a serious news magazine. They've won awards. They've won I was going to say Grammys, but I ain't, right? Pulitzers. <laughs> I mean, they've been around forever. It is You know, they broke major stories and the reporting about this. That's just amazing. And
4: all of these people, in a dozen or so cases, have been documented as avid D&D players. And you see no connection whatsoever? We see no connection for the fact that
5: right now there's some three to four million players of the game uh, actively throughout the United States. Uh, Right at this particular time, uh, 1985, teenage suicide is, is epidemic across the country with some 5,000 kids a year now taking their lives. Um, I think that uh, to say that uh, because that child uh, played Dungeons & Dragons, uh, who's to say that that child does not watch television, does not participate in, in high school sports, or what per se?
4: I have yet to see one bit of uh, this is Gary Guy, guys. valid clinical evidence to show that this has been anything more than coincidental with it disturbed child. If you found 12 hey, man, kids in murder-suicide with, with one connecting factor in each of them, wouldn't you question it? And that's all people do. I would certainly do it in a scientific manner, and this is as unscientific as you can get It's nothing but a witch hunt. I, but the families who have suffered the loss of a loved one would disagree.
0: Well, do those kids Had play Monopoly? In their like, or daughter, anything else? The- like, what? It could be anything. Yeah. I mean, they could... they Recreational habits aren't the cause of them committing suicide or even committing murder in the case of the two brothers. It's it just is there's something else going on.
1: And also that's a spurious argument at best. If you found 12 people that all had one thing in common, okay, 12 people out of four million. What percentage is that? I wonder. It's very fucking low.
0: Three percent. Yeah. Out if of if four had, million? Oh, million, million, million. So it's .003 yes. percent. zero. I don't know how many zeros. A lot of zeros. Yeah, that is fucking nuts.
4: The bullies came home one night three years ago and found Bink, their son, dead on the front lawn of their home in Montpelier, Virginia. He had shot himself through the heart with his father's handgun. Until that night, they had never heard of the game Dungeons & Dragons.
2: Then they began
4: looking through his things.
2: We went into the kitchen and there on the table were what we thought were just regular composition books with schoolwork in it and much of the Dungeons & Dragons material along with this curse he had received in the game that day that he died. The curse that was placed on
4: Binks' D&D character began, Your soul is mine. I choose the time. In a letter that he left, Binks said he had been summoned to kill himself because he was evil.
2: It was obvious through his writings that he felt he had assumed this character. But what I couldn't get into my mind was, is it possible? How could anybody do that? How could a 16-year-old that is smart, intelligent, why? Would they believe that they were something in a game? And why would they kill themselves? Because somebody else said to do it.
4: Your son was well adjusted?
2: Always. He had never had psychological problems. He was healthy, even physically healthy.
5: Well, we found that uh, there's been numerous parents who say that uh, uh, the child's had no problems and such.
1: That part, I am... I mean, I do feel bad for the parents and the family left behind. Yeah, I mean, that's got to suck. And again, I realize they're... Hurting, they're upset. They they're looking for a reason. Very well, could have looked at the fact that their dad had a gun that the kid could easily get to and use. But no, it's the make believe game he played every Tuesday or something like that.
0: And it is possible that he had delusions. Yeah, about that involved the game, but that doesn't mean that it's the fault of the game no that means that there's something going on within that child it's just we have to take some personal responsibility yeah and yeah i do feel bad i don't i don't want anyone to go through anything like that but i think you're grasping yes if
1: you're and that's exactly what it is they're grasping they want a reason it can't be because their kid was messed up sometimes Kids are just messed up. So, yeah, I'm, I don't want to... I'm not going to tell the parents, go fuck yourself because of that shit. I disagree with them completely, but I understand they're hurting, and it is a bad situation. But you're not helping. You're not saving the world with your crusade.
4: Uh, very
5: conclusively, we go back to details of uh, reports of classmates of teachers of friends and such who very much uh, uh, kind of show that the youngster didn't fit in to school uh, he had outside problems and generally problems with his family
0: we know that and in often the, case the of family and, tra- and the, the point he was making there is that because uh, I think it got cut you know when we did the pause is he was saying he's had you know parents say oh there's there yeah. was nothing wrong with they my child. They were perfectly happy. But how many times did you tell your parents everything yeah. that was going on in your life? My parents didn't know dick about what was going on with me on yeah. a personal level. As far as my friends at school, what, what was going on at school. And it's, you know, my interpersonal relationships. They didn't know that stuff unless I wanted them to.
1: Yeah, I keep going back to Columbine just because it was such a sensational case. That has been looked over for years and years now. But yeah, those kids, they had multiple guns. They had multiple explosives. They had plans written down and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. They would go out and make videos of themselves shooting at targets and oh, we're going to get them one day and all that stuff. Where were the fuck were the parents?
2: Yeah, they Your didn't kids
1: know. were able to do all that. And then, I was totally surprised when little Timmy shot up the school. Wow, what happened? Well, it must be because Marilyn Manson, or video games, or in this case, D&D. And it's it's sad, but it is frustrating. Because they're looking for a scapegoat, but that is not going to change anything. It's not going to help. Something has to be done, but this ain't it. Dragons,
4: upwards of three million kids play the game with no apparent serious consequence. That for them, it exercises the imagination and is just good fun. But there are those who are afraid that impressionable, vulnerable kids could be harmed by it. Dr. Thomas Rodecki is a psychiatrist who teaches at the University of Illinois Medical School and who is chairman of the National Coalition on Television Violence.
1: Oh, Oh, boy. He has
4: been studying the game for several years and says there are 28 deaths.
1: Now, I will say one thing. Uh, So far, I have no problems with 60 Minutes and their coverage of this. No. You know, they're coming out, well, look, a bunch of kids play this all the damn time. They like it, and they're not killing anyone. You know, millions of kids play this game. Fine. But there could be some kids who have problems and all that. And, you know, they are actually looking into it. What this bald dick is going to be doing right about now. Haven't seen this. Well, yeah, I have seen this, but it's been so long I can't remember it. But I'm going to put on my Nostradamus future scene hat. And, yeah, he's going to be blaming... D&D and all this shit, because that's how he makes a living. What a coincidence. Just like the people who sold the whole repressed memory bullshit, they wrote a book about it. They made their career
0: off that shit. They all had letters behind their name, too. What a
1: coincidence (laughs) that they fully supported this because it made them famous. It made them a lot of money. Imagine that.
3: Related to Dungeons and Dragons in the last five years, and some of those it was clearly the decisive element, and other ones it was just a major element in the thinking of the people at the time they committed suicide or, or murder. It's not coincidence. Not when you have careful documentation, you have careful notes, you have eyewitnesses. For instance, one case the parents were actually saw their child summon uh, Dungeons and Dragons demons into his room before he killed himself. Another case, the kid had what? He is sitting there, totally
1: straight-faced, a big scientist man with his big brain, and he is honestly saying that the parents saw a kid summon Dungeons and Dragons demons into his bedroom before he killed himself. We are supposed to take him seriously now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> also, if where if you're a parent and you see some kid summon a demon, wh- how did it get to the point where he killed himself? What did what did you not do?
2: Yeah,
0: you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, he's summoning a demon. God damn it, Timmy! Oh. Didn't
1: I tell you? <laughs> Don't be summoning demons in the house. Go outside if you're gonna be summoning demons. <laughs> oh, Timmy killed himself. Who could have seen that coming?
0: <laughs> that reminds me of a. Uh... Um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, poor Timmy. Yeah, it it Timmy ate him all up. up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, this guy, who is a big, important, serious man, is like, yeah, his parents saw him summon Dungeons and Dra- I don't even know what a dumb Dungeons and Dragons demon is. Did a demon come out with d d rule books or something? Yeah, Was I it know rolling what- dice as a you know, Hail Satan? But he's seriously want you to believe that somewhere out there some kid was summoning literal demons and then he killed himself okay
0: he's like oh it's not coincidence bullshit yes it is
3: it's fucking like. delusional <laughs> Thought he had the ability to astral travel coming from the Dungeons and Dragons game that he could leave his body and come back. And he had rigged it up just according to the rule book so he could do it. He was surrounded by his materials and put a bullet in his head so he could leave his body. And he's never come back. This is make-believe, and nobody's murdered, and there's no
4: violence there. I mean, uh, to to use an analogy with another game, who is bankrupted by losing a game of Monopoly? Uh-huh, Monopoly I use the, the same example. Because the money is make-believe, the property is make-believe, and the bankruptcy is make-believe. It is not like when mon-
1: Imagine that, somebody killing themselves over Monopoly. I lost all my money! I am destitute! I can't support my family anymore!
0: <sighs> I just think it's awesome that he used the exact same example I did, like yeah. that cracks me up, but it's but that's but that's the point is they could be into anything, yeah, they could be playing anything that doesn't mean that that's the thing that you know what about the kids who sadly commit suicide and they're into I don't know they watch Popeye. Or, I mean, give me, I don't know any kids who watch Popeye now, but give me anything. You're dating yourself, baby. I know. They're, I don't know what the kids are into. They're <laughs> Paw Patrol, you know? <laughs> you know, they watch just normal shit. What's the excuse then? The baby shark died. Now I
1: have to kill myself. I
0: mean, like, it's, there is, there, it's not an excuse. No. And, and it's not the reason.
1: Right, now we're going back to the parents of the kid who killed himself. So again, I feel bad for him, but the amount of eye rolling I keep doing, I'm surprised I haven't passed out yet.
2: There is no board. It is role playing, which is typically used for behavior modification. If you are using behavior modification and you are doing violent roles and you're doing negative roles continuously. These children not only begin to have violent dreams or violent thoughts or negative, depressing type things, they become very much a part of this character. Your role whoa, playing whoa, and whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. What the fuck is she talking about? I don't know. Because it's acting. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just like when people go out and LARP.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, they're acting.
1: LARP means live action role playing. That's even a bit too nerdy for me. Yeah. I've never no. LARPed. Um, I have nothing wrong with it if that's what you want to do.
0: Awesome, no, I think it's and it's it's basically cosplaying. Yeah, but then you and acting, but but then acting it out at the same time. You're acting. You're not doing behavior modification. Shut the fuck up.
1: Now we're back to Baldy McDumbass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I am
1: sadly Ah. joining the balding crowd myself. So don't anyone take offense. Or if you do, I don't care.
3: <laughs> you're developing the character hour after hour, day after day. We're really talking about intense violence, intense involvement in a very uh, serious form of violence.
4: The important thing to remember is, if you're playing a character, let's say, for instance, you have an evil character. The rules tell you your evil character is allowed in the scope of the rules to murder people and to rape and plunder. If you're playing a good character, you are the
2: defender of the people. You try to stop the people from writing and plundering. Yeah. But it's just your character that does it on the sheet of paper. When the game is over, the game does not tell you to go out and write the plundering.
1: Yeah. But for, for some kids...
2: Do you ever a rave 16 in A
1: 16-year-old kid <laughs> knows more than Mr. Ph.D. Fancy Pants.
0: Well, yeah, because here's a, here's a shocker. The 16-year-old kid is actually playing the game. Yeah. This asshole, I guarantee you, has never played the game. Now, they, like, they talk without knowing what they're talking about. I wonder if he's
1: ever summoned any D&D
0: demons. Yeah, we should ask him.
4: It's not as simple as that. Melissa claimed that D&D had become more than just a game for her brother, Bink.
1: Someone threatened you? Now, this is the younger daughter, I guess, of the same family. So again, I feel bad for her. I actually was thinking I feel bad for because she was sitting there looking confused as fuck.
0: Yeah, Um, behind the mother. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But here we go. And you have her mother sitting right. It's okay. Tell him the truth, baby. The truth.
2: Yes. My father threatened to kill me one
4: time. We found out later that um, he had threatened to kill her. And she told uh, us that he was playing the game. She knew it. And she was actually scared for her life. After her son's death. All right. Are point. we talking,
0: are we talking, uh, if you tell mom and dad, I'm going to kill you, you know, which is something that every kid says to their sibling at some point.
1: Was he going to stuff dice down her throat?
0: Yes. Also, if, and if he was, if he did say that and he was sincere and it was a sincere threat, there's something wrong yes. with that kid. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe but, they should have gotten some help if this was actually going on and they were, and it was serious.
1: Well, I mean, most people don't know this, but there is something in the books that says if your sister is going to tell on you for playing the game, threaten to kill her. That will keep her quiet. <laughs> so I mean, you know, she does have a point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> again, not making light of her. the fact that this child is dead. I am sorry that this child no, is dead. But again,
1: but... she's the same type of little girl who. Once again, all those fucking repressed memories. Oh, my daddy touched me and then had me eat, you know, baby hearts. And then I would, you know, have sex with, you know, skulls of children and all this kind of horse shit. And then you find out, surprise, it was all made up bullshit. But at the time, they're crying and oh my God, oh Jesus. And you're like, how can this happen? You know, I've seen horror movies that aren't this Horrific. It's called bullshit.
4: Stigated the game. She felt so strongly that it was responsible for her son's death that she formed a network of concerned people to warn others about the dangerous aspects of the game.
2: Bothered because about Dungeons
4: and Dragons? is is often consulted yeah. by police departments placed assist juvenile trick for carriers. Okay, uh I
1: don't know why yeah, I, I bet that's bad. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons.
0: <laughs> Which to me is one of the stupidest names.
1: Well, it's right up there with Mad and Glad and but everything else.
0: Mothers Against Drunk yeah. Driving. That at least makes sense. Bothered about? That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh. You couldn't come up with something better.
1: They liked the acronym. They started with that and worked backwards. Yeah, for whatever reason, this is just kind of faded out from what they were saying right then into. Showing the D&D cartoon. Yeah, back in the 80s we actually had a cartoon about Dungeons and & Dragons. And now it looks like it's a TV commercial for it.
2: You're playing the most fundamental game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first blitz of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick decision or a choices are. Huh?
0: That, I remember this commercial. Oh, that yeah. was Cameron from, um, uh, what's his name? his real name I don't remember Cameron from Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Ferris Bueller?
2: yeah oh,
1: nice <laughs> good call limited to stand and fight or run use your
2: lightning bolt yeah lightning bolt victory is yours <laughs> T.S.R. Hobbies Dungeons and Dragons games products of your imagination
4: of her involvement with D&D Mrs. Oh. Pulling is often consulted by police
1: departments around oh, the country oh fucking A last November and it the- her son killed herself, himself, she blames d and and now police departments are consulting with her from across the country. <sighs> Gotta love the 80s, man.
4: This deserted area outside the small town of Lafayette, Colorado, two brothers, Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12 years old, were found dead. It was a murder-suicide. The story was widely covered by newspapers and television, as was the fact that the police said the deaths (laughs) were caused by the boys' obsession with the game Dungeons & Dragons. Officer Greg Curry was assigned to the case when the boys were first reported missing. He learned that they used to come to this railroad trestle to play the game. Both boys were here when you came? Yes, uh,
5: both boys were intertwined, their legs intertwined down in this area, the older boy Um, in this area here, the younger boy laying here with the 22 caliber gun next to his head. um, Where the gun was found
4: was just to the right of his his head area. As a police officer, as an investigator, did you see a connection between what happened here and the game Dungeons & Dragons? And the investigation showed that it was a focal point of the boys lives. They were and just
5: enthralled in the game, and this comes from witnesses and the family and the brother that they were totally uh, obsessed with the game. In fact,
1: would play it for forty-eight hours straight. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I once did that.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's not uncommon. It's just like now people play video games for that yeah. <laughs> long of a time. You know, it's that doesn't mean anything. Also, did you not look any farther? How do we know that it was a murder-suicide because they found the gun next to the one kid's head? I I mean, like, I don't know anything about this investigation, but did they look any farther than that, or did they just go, oh, that's it, must be a murder-suicide, and it's because of D&D?
2: sort
4: of a marathon plane. Two weeks after the police chief announced that Dungeons and Dragons had been the cause of the boy's deaths,
0: that's completely they irresponsible. Actually,
1: say that's the cause of the death. If I was TSR, I would sue, sue the fuck out of ever living shit out of them. He
4: issued a final press release with a different version of his earlier statements. TSR claimed they were vindicated, but Pat Pulling couldn't believe that the. Book
1: Okay, I notice you don't say what the other version of his story was. Right. He released a different story where he didn't blame Dungeons & Dragons. What did he blame?
0: How about that? How about that uh, they
1: actually maybe did some investigation for once? Whatever credit, I was giving 60 Minutes is starting
2: to slide. (laughs) He's
4: changed their story.
2: And I said, well, you can't change it. If it's the truth, you can't change it. I mean... Children are dying, Ed. Children are dying out there, and people are not telling.
4: Mrs. Pulling was convinced that it was the threat of a lawsuit by TSR
1: rather than the evidence that made the. Well, there you go. Maybe they did sue the shit out of them. Or they threaten were going to. to. Yeah. yeah. Police chief changed his story. Did you threaten to sue? There's that little girl looking confused again. Yeah.
0: Uh, he's now. Um... Talking to the the other
1: guy from TSR, not the, Gary Gygax, but Dieter something or another.
0: The uh, marketing guy or yeah. uh, public relations guy.
5: No, we did not threaten to sue. We did send them a letter, which we asked them in a very kind way. Uh, that uh, they please further investigation and take a look at exactly what all the evidence is and what the details are specifically before they start uh, calling the name of our product into
4: it as being a blame or cause. But Mrs. Pulling had received a letter from the police chief in Lafayette, in which he said that it was his fear of a lawsuit that made him back off. Yes, he sent
2: me a letter.
4: The letter to Mrs. Pulling from the chief of police said in part, I sincerely hope you will understand what has happened and will forgive me. I do not feel very good about myself, and I feel that I have lost a part of my integrity.
1: May I? Yeah, you did, Dick. If if he did legitimately believe Dungeons and Dragons was the cause of a murder-suicide, he's a fucking cop you're supposed to uphold
0: the law. You're supposed to stand by that shit. Yeah. And if he caved that easily when all they did was send him a letter asking. Now, and I'm going on the you know, I'm just going on what he just said that their letter nicely asked them to look at I Actual mean, I don't evidence. know, do an investigation yeah. before you calling out before you go calling out our product if that's the case and then he pulled back on the story, then clearly they didn't find anything. Yeah. It sounds to me like he's trying to kiss up to her yeah. because she had become, you know, the so well known,
1: mad or bad, bad or dad or whatever the fuck it was.
4: <laughs> he's saying that the city administrator and city attorney were very supportive of me, but cautious. My obligation to the city as a whole to protect them from serious financial litigation was predominant.
1: But aren't you supposed to protect them from a satanic cult? of D&D role players who are teaching our children how to summon D&D demons into their bedroom and kill themselves? Isn't that more important? If you honestly believe that horse shit, isn't that
2: more important? I wept. I mean, I said, boy, you know, maybe somebody was going to really take and pay attention to this now and start doing some serious research and start stopping children from dying over something that they didn't
4: have to die. I don't think anyone is suggesting that your intentions originally in this game were anything but but good. It was a game to have some fun. But in the light of what some people would consider to be strong evidence, don't you really think that you have to rethink?
1: If you have to qualify your strong evidence as what some people would consider strong evidence, it's not strong evidence.
4: Take your position about the game and at least make known the potential for abuse of the game? Well, I I, I, I again have to go back and say there's no link that that this is, except perhaps in the the minds of those people who are looking desperately for any other cause than perhaps their own failure as a parent.
0: Boom!
1: Damn! Gary
0: Gygax goes for the throat! yeah!
1: Throwing down like a boss! Also... I, bel- I totally believe him. I totally agree with him.
4: For their child's death.
1: And further,
4: the, uh, anything can be abused. How are we going to try to go around and say, uh, this chair could be used by a violent person to strike another person. <laughs> Therefore, it should have a warning label on saying, caution, this can be used to assault you with.
3: We would like an impartial uh, inquiry by the Consumer Product Safety Commission to actually look into these deaths.
1: You want to make sure that they're summoning good demons? (laughs) Fucking idiot.
3: (laughs) Yeah, this is the the, uh, uh, college professor again. Bring forth the evidence, bring the parents in, look at this. Let's have an inquiry, an open public inquiry, and let's find out the truth.
4: This Friday, the town of Putnam, Connecticut, will hold a town meeting to discuss whether Dungeons and Dragons should continue to be played in their schools. The suicide of a 13-year-old Putnam boy has once again banned the controversy.
1: And that was 60 Minutes.
0: Okay, so they didn't mention anything about the school board meeting because at the time when the show was aired, it uh, had not happened yet.
1: Yeah, they were still doing
0: it. So I looked it up. Yay! (laughs) Because I'm all about being... Because
1: the internet is forever.
0: As far as that Putnam County School Board meeting went, uh, just the TLDR, they decided to go ahead and allow them to continue playing D&D. Ha ha! Suck it! One of the parents who opposed it said, quote, It is another of Satan's ploys to pollute and destroy our children's minds.
1: You know, when you say shit like that, you are just making it impossible for people to take you seriously. Yeah.
0: The guy who runs the games, he apparently would allow kids to come and play at his toy store on Saturdays. He would hold competitions, and his quote is... Uh, it's a harmless game. I have parents who come and thank me for having a place where kids can go and not be exposed to drugs and drinking. Hey, look at that! It's almost like it's healthy. Then the school board says, "quote There are more important things on the agenda than Dungeons and Dragons, fucking amen. mathematics, reading, or smoking, for example." My, then he goes on to say, my daughter played D&D since she was 16 and she is now happily married. There is no evidence that links D&D to well, suicide. Right
1: there. That just proves she's part of the cult.
0: But then we have a preacher who Oh, this in, should be good. And he says, you have authorized Russian roulette. Over the months to come, there will be many thrilling and harmless clicks of the gun as Dungeons and Dragons is held to the heads of our young people. Help. But another deadly explosion will come.
3: Yes. yes but it then
0: will. here's the big thing is that they talked to a, oh, and I'm sorry. Then they go on to say playing these games can desensitize players to murder, suicide, rape, torture, robbery, the occult, or any other immoral or illegal act. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm into all that shit. The company, TSR, is making a profit while familiarizing its millions of followers with terms and rituals of occult forms of religion. Of course. Oh, for fuck's sake. I gotta tell you one thing I've never done is equated D&D with religion. No. I have never, ever, never. This right here is the reality of it. One of his friends, who's 14... The little boy who killed himself. He killed himself. He says, quote, I'm sick of them saying that he killed himself because it was D&D. It was drugs. Well, again. And then he's... they went on to say that he had he had had a problem with drugs and had had some run ins with his mother.
1: Oh, notice she was absent from the blame game. But again, that kid
0: is part of the cult, baby. So, of course, he's going to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to see that the Putnam School Board didn't have their heads up their asses. Good on them. So, for anyone who was curious as to how it turned out, there you go. I would love to think this kind of stupid,
1: moronic bullshit is in the past. It could be something we could just look and point at and go, ha, 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 that was funny back then. I mean, it wasn't funny. Again, people were having their lives upended because of this bullshit. But, you know... Simpler times, people were silly, they didn't understand, blah, 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 blah. But shit like this is still going. You have United States senators claiming that Jewish space lasers are causing forest fires in California and saying that with a straight face. The shit never ends.
0: No, it doesn't. There's always going to be, it's like a hydra. Yeah. You cut off the head, something else will grow in its place. Whether it's movies, games, music, video games, There's always going to be something that is the reason that our kids have problems other than their home life, their friends, their whatever is the actual cause.
1: And maybe, I mean, I'll even give them uh, some, I'll cut them some slack. Maybe the parents have nothing to do with it. Maybe they were attentive. Maybe they were loving. Maybe they did, you know, look in on their kids and see what their interest... I mean, sometimes kids, people in general, you know, not just kids, but sometimes people do bad things. And it's not all the work of the devil.
0: I personally don't think any of it is the work of the devil. Well, neither do I, but... Yeah, and it's a a sad fact, but... The thing is, we as humans will always try to find an answer. We're always going to grasp. And this, just like anything else, boils down to fear and ignorance.
1: Now I got to go get my cloak out, my baby fat candles and (laughs) draw a fresh pentagram because we got the guys coming over to game tonight.
0: And we got to summon some of those Dungeons and Dragons demons, whatever the fuck that means. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else?
1: No, no. It's just right. a
0: little blast from the past. Yep. Hope that was fun. Uh, hey, do you guys have any experience with your parents freaking out over stuff like that? Uh, mine didn't. Mine pretty much. Well, like I said, they didn't know anything I was doing unless I wanted them to. They. It's not that they didn't care. They just kids have a remarkable ability to keep shit from their yeah. parents. I did have a friend, though, whose mom freaked out about this stuff. She burned all of his Kiss albums, all of his Kiss paraphernalia, all of his D&D stuff. And he's pissed because that shit would be worth yeah, a lot of be. money right now. If you still
1: had that shit vintage,
0: man. I'd kick her ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, all right. Uh, collections up next. See you in a bit. Attack of the Colossal Collection. Collection. All right, let's get to running through those Ds. Okay, picking
1: up where we left off, it is The Dead Zone from 1983. This is both a Stephen King movie based off a novel he wrote and a David Cronenberg film. And it's very good, like most Cronenbergs work, but it might be the most un-Cronenberg Cronenberg movie I've ever seen. Maybe because he's adapting somebody else's work, and he's very faithful in that adaptation, but it has, like, none of his trademarks, none of his... Not even really his feel all that much, at least to me.
0: No, if I didn't know it was Cronenberg, I wouldn't guess it was Cronenberg.
1: But it's very much a Stephen King film. This is one of King's favorite adaptions of his work. Uh, And I agree, it is a lot like the novel, Uh, It's abridged, of course, because, you know, novels are huge. Particularly Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. But as also is Christopher Walken at some of his Christopher Walken best. Say the line, baby.
0: The ice is gonna break.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, if you've read the novel, uh, you should like this movie. If you never have, I highly recommend it. It's about a guy with the amazing name of John Smith. (laughs) Getting in an accident, going in a coma for five years. And then when he wakes up, he now has a psychic ability. He can see the future and the past and even just stuff that's going on right then, but in some far off location. He tries to live his life, go back to being normal, but three different times at least he is pulled into uh, the world of the supernatural and having to deal with his psychic visions.
0: And it's very sad. Yeah. Because the way he finds out that he has this ability is because a nurse in the hospital touches him and he gets visions of her daughter in a house fire. And he tells her, he's like, oh, she's still alive. She's screaming. She's screaming, go save her. So they go save the little girl. And that's all, a, that's wonderful But then people treat him like he's a freak. Oh, yeah. You know? And, And, you know, they would. I know, and it fucking sucks. People suck. Like, he didn't do anything bad or scary. He saved the life of, of a little girl, and then people are like, freak? And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. That's why I hate humans. But anyway,
1: go ahead. No, it's just, it's an excellent Stephen King Adaptation. It is a very good Cronenberg movie. It is just a good, solid movie, no matter how you slice it. Yep. Uh, eventually, many years later, they would do a Dead Zone TV show with... Uh,
0: Anthony Michael Hall?
1: Thank you. Playing the John Smith role. And he was good at it. I'd seen, like, the first season and maybe some of the second. But that's about all I watched. But what I did see, I liked As for this movie, uh, we both give it a 5 out of 5. We love it, and we highly recommend it.
0: Next up, we have a pretty obscure independent film from 2008 called Dead Girl. Now, it's obscure, but it's also notorious at the same time, I guess. Because if you know, you know. (laughs) Uh, But this stars Shiloh Fernandez in an early role and horror fans will know him from the Evil Dead remake. Yay! Yeah. Which, you know, ev- everybody's Evil Dead and all over the place right now, so. Mm. We're topical. It also stars Candace King from The Vampire Diaries.
1: Ooh. And you leave it alone. Yay, sexy vampire.
0: And uh, Noah Segan? I don't know if it's Segan or not, but anyway, anyway um, he's in Knives Out. Nice. So this, it's a very simple, there's not a lot to the what's going on, but this has two friends, Ricky and JT, and they decide one day after school they're going to go drinking at an abandoned asylum, because why not? And then they start poking around in the asylum, and they find something very strange downstairs. What do they find? A naked girl strapped to a table who... Appears to be dead, but she's not decomposed. She's just naked and there.
1: And also moving. I mean, not when they first find her, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, once they... She looks like... Because she's covered in plastic, you know? So it looks like they found a corpse. But then they realize, oh, she actually
1: moves. And I love the fact that they never explain it. They never find some old file somewhere that said... You know, we did tests on Mary Jane to see blah, 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 or, you know, anything like that. It was just, no, you're poking around an old abandoned hospital. You find a cute, I mean, because she's cute, naked, dead chick tied to a bed and her mouth, you know, gagged and all that stuff. What would you do?
0: Not what they did. Yeah, I don't think I would do what they did. Well, not they. Not they. Ricky didn't do anything. Yeah. Ricky's the good guy. Well, till the end. (laughs) JT, on the other hand, he's a little bit unhinged and I guess a little repressed. Well, both
1: these guys are like losers at the local school. Uh, Neither one of them has a girlfriend. They kind of just hang out with each other. So, you know, they're not getting much action. But now they have something. A woman. A dead woman. But she's still moving. And she still has a hoo-ha.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So he's like, I could use that. And yeah, he starts fucking the dead girl. A lot.
0: Well, yeah, he's there every day. He even brings furniture in. He's wearing (laughs) a smoking jacket at one point. You know, they're decorating the place. He does her makeup. (laughs) Yeah, poorly. But... Now, again, not Ricky. Ricky doesn't want anything to do with this. He think he thinks they should report it. JT's like, no fucking way. And so JT, since Ricky won't come hang out with him, JT brings in another one of their friends and they start going at it to, you know... And I'm just like, to me, first of all, gross. Second of all, gross. I mean, not even the fact that she's a, that she's a zombie. Which but, is gross. But the fact that we're talking... Days upon days of spooge from <laughs> multiple guys just sitting inside there. And they never address
1: it. They never go, well, I cleaned her out. Or, you know, somebody shows you,
0: I got this hose. We, She's starting to smell. <laughs> no, <it's> just, ew. <laughs> no, it's very gross. And they actually, um, uh, there's one scene that sort of implies that he's fucking a wound in yeah. her stomach. Um, That's
1: all pussy, but ooh, it's warm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
0: it's just, and those start to smell. They do Mm -hmm. mention that the wounds are smelling, because he shot her multiple times. To prove. To prove that she was dead. 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 Then, you know, the wounds start to smell bad, and they don't seem to care. I mean, JT is, he loses his fucking mind, is what happens. Like, he seriously loses his mind over this thing. And he becomes uh, just obsessed and insane. Then they do finally decide that they need to replace her because she's they realize that they can make more. With a bite. So they go on the hunt to find somebody to replace her with. Yeah, they're gonna kidnap a woman, bring her down to this hospital,
1: and have the dead girl bite her so she can be a new dead girl they can have
0: sex with. Yeah, their sex slave, and they that they actually refer to her to. Now this film is really just a it's a commentary. Yeah. On toxic males, but what I do like uh, toxic masculinity and um the objectification of women. But what I do really like about it is, is it woke? that shut up. <laughs> what I do really like about it is that Ricky is not that. Yeah, you know, and so they're not saying every man is toxic. Oh, by the way, this was also made by Trent Haga, so. Oh, he's a man. But (laughs) the point isn't that all men behave this way. It's just that, you know, these particular guys do. And I like it. It's very simple. There's not a whole lot going on. It's, It's mostly... I mean, you get some scenes at the school and at you know, Ricky's house and whatnot. But the majority of it takes place in this one location in the bottom of this basement. And uh, we do actually see, I think, well, I don't really want to spoil it, I guess, because in case anybody wants to watch it, but uh, Ricky may not end up being exactly the hero that we want him to be <laughs> by the time you get to the end. But I don't know. It's very sad. Like he has this whole relationship with this girl that he's known since they were kids. He's in love with her and you know dreams of her from afar but she doesn't really notice him she's going out with a football player she has quote outgrown him end quote
1: yeah which is a shitty thing to say and do
0: yeah but it does have some funny moments too like when they they come they go to the gas station and they're looking for somebody to kidnap and they they uh, finally settle on this one chick and that was a bad idea <laughs> they club her over the head
1: with a tire iron I- and she just turns around and whoops
0: their ass. Yeah, blood pouring down her face. And you think she's about to pass out, Like, but she just starts whooping their ass. I love that. So, <laughs> And I actually think I did see this, uh, that it was on Tubi. So, I mean, I, it, it is kind of obscure, so it may be hard to find if you wanted to watch it. But I think it's on Tubi. I highly recommend it.
1: So does Jamie. In fact, we both give it a four out of 5. It's yeah. good
0: stuff. Has some adult situations and if you were uncomfortable with zombie rape <laughs> then probably avoid it, but But I mean it's know. not
1: like a porno or it's not even like necromantic if you've ever seen that wonderful oh, film. Yeah. There's some nudity and, you know, some sexual situations, I guess.
0: But most of it's implied. Yeah, really. it's not
1: gratuitous, I think. But I just love when somebody could take something as Old and tired as zombies, and do something new with them, and yeah. that's what they do here. So, yeah, check it out. From the dead girl, we go to Deadpool, and I guess we'll just talk about both of them because uh, we have both movies, we watched both movies. That's Deadpool from 2016 and the cleverly named Deadpool 2. <laughs> From 2018. These are superhero movies, and I'm not the world's biggest fan of superhero stuff. I like them. I usually watch most superhero movies, usually one time, and then I'm good with them. Uh, I do love some Batman movies, and I like some Punisher films. And I like these films.
0: I love... I honestly think the first Deadpool may be my all-time favorite superhero movie. Because...
1: They did it right. If you know the Deadpool character, you know how off the wall he is. How oh
0: yeah, he's got that sealed up mouth. Yeah.
1: Right?
0: <laughs> what the fuck were they thinking?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but he's always making jokes and he's always breaking the fourth wall, and it's you know whatever. And they do that here, so this is easily uh, a comedy. And an action film, because there are superheroes and they do fight and stuff like that. But it's by and large, not really raunchy. It's pretty raunchy. It, there's some of that there, but it's not like that's the point of it. Like Porky's or something like that. Oh, yeah. It, or, um, what the hell? American Pie. Or anything like that. But there is some very adult and risque humor. But I love that shit. Ryan Reynolds. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, he was amazing. He played Deadpool originally in that awful Wolverine Origins movie where they totally fucked up the character. So, uh, I'm glad he got to do it again for real. And I'm glad they gave it an R rating.
0: And I'm glad they made fun of the first one. Yes,
1: repeatedly. Also, Ryan Reynolds' take on the Green Lantern, because he also played that. And, uh...
0: It just, there's a lot of inside jokes. It's irreverent. Yes. Uh, It's fucking hilarious. But yeah, uh, rated R for a very good reason. Lots of extreme violence. Lots of extreme language. That's what I love about it. Oh, yeah. It's brilliant. I only hope that the
1: upcoming Deadpool 3 from Disney now, because these were originally their Marvel, based off a Marvel comic book, but these were done by Fox and done on their own so Disney had no say in any of this stuff now that Disney owns Fox and owns the license back again i hope the third one is just as crazy and silly and dirty and all that stuff as these two were
0: well we'll find out in 2024
1: yeah but as for these movies they're really good they're really fun we both give them the same ratings each and now it is deadpool 1 5 out of 5 deadpool 2 4 out of 5
0: yeah and actually the first time we saw deadpool 2 i didn't like it and i just i didn't enjoy it at all but i knew at the time that i was in a bad place mm. like it just Mentally I was in a bad well, I was in a bad mood. That happens. I knew it going in. I didn't want to watch it when we watched it. And then I didn't like it. And I knew at the end I was like, you know, you need to give it another shot. But I never did until now. And then watching it now, I liked it way better. Way, way well. It went to a four. Yeah. You know? So I still don't think it's as it's as good or as tight as the first no, one.
1: Neither do I. But, but
0: it's still pretty damn no. good.
1: I could watch these movies again. I'm fine with both of them. Uh, they're just a really silly, stupid, fun time. We now go to an anthology called Dead Time Stories <laughs> from 1986. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, this breaks my heart because, you know, I love anthologies. They're one of my favorite formats. For Plus, it's a, it's a good name. Yeah, it's a great name, and it's a good idea. The idea is take three fairy tales and put a horror twist on them. Not that most fairy tales don't already have some kind of horror twist going for them. But here we get, you know, somebody living with some wicked witches doing evil witchy things. Then we have the wolf man.
0: yeah, A little red riding hood, but with a werewolf. Which is cool.
1: It's not an original idea, but it's still cool. And then at the end, we have the three little bears, but they're people just with the last name Bear and Goldilocks, Goldilocks. But she's basically Carrie. She has massive telekinesis powers and she's also a psychotic killer. And that one is just played for quote laughs. And I say quote because it is not funny at all.
0: The first story has family ties. Mm hmm. He played uh, Mallory. Now, half the people listening to this probably don't even know what the nope. fuck I'm talking about, but it was Mallory's boyfriend and Family Ties. Christ, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was big at the time. You know, like it was, it was... People knew who he was then. Now, you look at it, not a clue. Yeah. But people knew who he was back then.
1: And this is just... It's mostly played for laughs. The framing devices is an uncle watching over his nephew, little kid as he's trying to go to sleep. And the kid keeps going, I don't want to go to sleep. Read me a story. And these are the stories he reads to him. Uh, It could have been much better. It should have been much better.
2: But it It wasn't. wasn't.
1: I still, you know, I kept it because I got this in for review. I've seen it before when it was on cable years ago. But I kept it when I got it for review just because it is a horror anthology. And I like to be a completionist about that. But it's really Jamie gives it a three out of five and I can only give it a 2.5 out of five. It was a three up until that third segment, which is really painful to sit through. But I still give it a 2.5 for being an anthology, for having a good idea, for doing some clever stuff with special effects and gore and all that stuff. Honestly, I would say skip it.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't go out of your way to watch this. It's 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 not worth it. I must have been high.
1: Why did I give it a three? I have no idea. you well, you're a soft touch. I am. We now go to 1981 and Deadly Blessing, a very well not very, but I would say relatively obscure Wes Craven film that most people don't know about. And I don't know why, because it was an actual movie. It played in theaters and all that. It kind of looks like a TV movie. So you would ask in the beginning, was this a TV movie? And I was like, I don't know. But then we get a whole bunch of titties. And I'm like, nope, not a TV movie.
0: Yeah, but they do name it. It's kind of funny. uh, He did have a TV movie that came out just prior to this that actually has one of the same actors in it uh, called Summer of Fear. I really like that movie. It, it's about witches, and it's a uh, it was a TV movie. And in this movie, one of the characters goes to the movies to see *Summer of Fear*. Yeah, and I which thought, I thought was cool. I thought that was really funny, except that *Summer of Fear* was never released in theaters, to my knowledge. Yeah, it was a TV but movie, but it was still, still a, good a joke. It was a good end joke for West Craven, so that was cool. Here, there's a
1: guy who used to be. They keep referring him to Hittite. Is that a real thing? Hittites.
0: I've heard it before,
1: but it could have just been from. Well, I know like in ye olden days, like the Bible mentions Hittites. I just didn't know if they were the same thing. They basically look like the Amish, but maybe they didn't want to use Amish to, you know, not upset any Amish people out there. Although if they're watching a movie, they're not being very good Amish, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it says in the movie that they are very different from the Amish. Like, they they make the, what did she say? They make the Amish look like wild and crazy or something like that. But she compared them to some, anyway, so they're far more uh, strict and it just even, you know, picture the Amish, they're worse than that.
1: To paraphrase Rob Zombie, they're more Amish than Amish, more Amish than Amish, more Amish than Amish. I get it. <laughs> there's a murder mystery here. It's basically a slasher. Uh, somebody's going around killing people, and you got to figure out why. You have... Uh, oh,
0: Michael Berryman.
1: Yeah, Michael Berryman's in here. Ernest Borgnine plays the leader of the Hittite yeah. clan.
0: He's scary.
1: Yeah, he does a good job. And there's actually a very young Sharon Stone in this. That's
0: right, yeah. 1981 Sharon Stone.
1: Essentially, some guy who used to be part of the Hittites, he left and got married and got his own house, and he has electricity and everything. He's murdered.
0: He's fancy.
1: Yeah. So, the widow, she invites her two friends from college, these two other girls, and they go out and they stay with her to, you know, just be with her at this dark time. And somebody is peeping on them, and somebody's killing folks, and you got to figure out why. Meanwhile, you have Michael Berryman running around calling everybody, Incubus! You Incubus! And writing Incubus on the wall. And Ernest Borgnine's preaching about the evil of the Incubus. And they basically got it mixed up with a succubus, which is the female version of this demon.
0: Yeah, he keeps calling this woman the, the wife of the guy that, went to Rumspringer and never came back.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The, I mean, he did come back, but anyway. Uh, his wife, they keep referring to, he keeps calling her an incubus. And I'm like, that is not accurate. That's <laughs> a succubus. <laughs> but when we get to the end.
1: Oh, it goes totally crazy. It's,
0: it's you know. Oh my it God. It makes a little more sense. You get a neat little slasher story here and a mystery. I mean, the movie doesn't make sense, but them saying incubus rather than succubus makes sense. And uh,
1: that's 90% of the movie, but at the very end, things just go off the wall. Kind of, I love that for it. It makes no damn sense. It's kind of stupid, but I still love that. Oh, it's fun. And yeah, it makes no sense at all, but it's fun. As for the slasher mystery, that is hit and miss. There ain't a lot of slasher action going on. There's a few people who get sliced and diced, but that's about it. It's kind of a middle of the road movie. It's not one of Wes Craven's best. So I could see why um many Wes Craven fans probably don't even know that this movie exists, but I it's think worth it a watch. It has a
0: charm to it. What well, it does? It, to me, it's uh I would describe this and I did describe this as a Sunday afternoon horror movie. It's the kind of movie that would come on TV on Sunday afternoons and That's where I saw a lot of my horror movies growing up. But this would fit right in there. And it has a bit of a charm. And I enjoy it, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense by the time you get to the end. It's fun. Yeah.
1: So if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. We would both give it a 3.5 out of 5. And what I think is awesome, we go from Wes Craven's Deadly Blessing to Wes Craven's Deadly Friend. From 1986. Chances are you know what this movie is. Even if you haven't seen it, it is much more famous than the other one. But just in case you haven't, here we get a teenage boy who's a super genius. He's still of high school age, but he's actually teaching classes at the local college about robotics and stuff. And he's actually made his own little robot buddy. Named... B.B. 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 And him and his robot and his single mom move into a new house in a new neighborhood so he can start teaching at that college. And next door lives Christy Swanson, who is just as cute as hell in here. This is the first movie I ever saw her in. And as a young teenage boy, I was like, damn, she's pretty. Unfortunately, she has a very abusive shithead father. And during the course of just living, she doesn't. She gets killed. Naturally, the boy next door is all heartbroken, because if you were about to get a girlfriend like Christy Swanson and somebody took her away from you, you'd be upset too. So he takes BB's brain, because BB got blown up by a nasty old neighbor lady. And he sticks it inside Christy Swanson's. It was
0: throw mama from the train.
1: Yes. Dead brain. And Ramsey.
0: And her name is Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah,
1: whatever. That brings Christy Swanson back because science. But now she's half BB, half herself, and she's looking for revenge. She's looking for revenge on her father who killed her and Throw Mama from the Train who killed (laughs) BB. And plus, anybody else that crosses her path, who gets in her way, she's going to mess up. Because, of course, because she has a robot brain, it means she has super strength now. I don't know how that works, but whatever.
0: Also, lead kid played by Albert Ingalls. Now, his not, that's not his real name. His real name is like Matthew Laborato or something like that. But he played Albert Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. Oh, thank God. And man. I had a big crush on him. I
1: I, uh, I would have had a sleepless night if I didn't know that. Wow. <sighs> Nobody cares about Little House on the Prairie. I
0: guarantee you at least one other person out there gives a shit.
1: Anyway, Let me know who you are. This isn't a, what I would call a good movie, because it's not. There was supposedly a lot of studio interference. Uh, Supposedly, Wes Craven didn't really even want to make a horror movie, but because he's Wes fucking Craven... The studio was like, no, 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 you're doing a horror movie. So he made them add all these extra bits and nightmare scenes and all this horror stuff. So it really is a hodgepodge of a film. But, come on, it's an 80s movie about robots. That was a thing in the 80s. And even if they weren't great, they were usually fun, which is the case here. Plus, it has a great head explosion. One of the best. One of the best. So yeah, this is a goofy, silly movie about a boy and his robot and his girlfriend. And the shenanigans they get up to with uh, at least one good gore gag. The rest are kind of tame. But it's a decent watch. We both give it... Well, not really. Jamie gives it a 35 And I only give it a three, which means I do like it, but that's it. We go from A Deadly Friend to The Deadly Mantis from 1957. This is an old 50s big bug movie, and I love those. I've often said that Friday the 13th, final chapter, my first horror movie, and I do consider that to be my first real horror movie. But when I was a kid... On Saturday afternoons, there was the Creature double feature. And a lot of these big bug movies and the universal classic movies and all that, they were always playing there. But, you know, they're not what I'd call scary. They're also, you know, anything that would be too scary would be cut out for TV and all that stuff. So while I grew up watching these movies and I love them, I don't really consider them horror movies. I don't know why, but just the way it is. Here, a volcanic eruption awakens a ginormous praying mantis that used to be frozen in a glacier at the North Pole.
0: Yeah, it's like a prehistoric version of a mantis. And apparently, you know, the mantis... Is
3: it's the,
1: the deadliest most
0: bug. deadly yeah. animal to have ever lived on the planet.
1: That's I always love that when it comes to big bad bug movies,
0: or even many
1: animal attack films. There's always one expert who shows up to tell you how scary their critter is. Yep. Whether it's bats or ants or mantises. Or even or- Jaws. Because you get hoopers showing up going, oh, my God, all they do is swim and mate and eat. They're the perfect organism.
0: Grizzly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever, whatever animal the movie is about is the most terrifying animal (laughs) that has ever lived. Even if you're being attacked by, I don't know. Worms. Like squirm. Like deadly otters. (laughs) Deadly otters. zombies. oh, my God. Well, you know, rabbits. Yeah. And, uh in Night of the Lepus. Now, I don't know if they ever said rabbits were the most, but I'll bet they did. (laughs) They probably mentioned
1: their voracious (laughs) hunger and that fact that they mate and reproduce incredibly fast. They can swarm the world with their fluffy little bodies. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Here we get a mantis going from the North Pole South And wreaking all this havoc, the military gets involved, the scientist gets involved, and they have a big showdown in a tunnel with gas grenades and all that stuff. It is hokey. It is silly. In fact, most people know this movie because it was featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000 in a very famous and very good episode. And what's cool is... We have this on Blu-ray from Scream Factory. Yay. And they include not only the original movie, but they also have the MST3K episode with this movie. Yeah. So that's really cool.
0: Um, And also, I gotta say, I think the Mantis looks really good. It does. The puppet or whatever, it looks great. Now, it's a little silly. It it always roars it before roars it like, attacks. It's that same roar <laughs> that they Jaws. used in Jaws the Revenge.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a goofy movie, but again, I grew up with it. No, I'm not old enough to have seen it in the theater, but I grew up with them on TV. Uh, I love these big bug movies, and this is one of the best. Uh, if you like 50s, big bug, you know, radiation horror type stuff, You'll like this movie. If you don't, you probably won't. But I do, and Jamie does. In fact, we both give it a four out of five.
0: Yeah, it's a good time.
1: We go from the Deadly Mantis. We have lots of deadly films. To Deadly Manor. Ugh. From 1990. God damn. This is a slasher film.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Well, it <laughs> is, technically. <laughs>
1: and because of it i probably do give it a little bit more credit than it deserves just cuz i am an easy mark for slashers uh here bunch of kids in a car going somewhere
0: like Wanakanobi.
1: yeah they're going to the lake they don't get there they find an old abandoned well manor with match and whatever and there's a couple neat little things to you know set up the mystery And what's going on? There is a wrecked car in front of the house, kind of like on a pedestal with, you know, vases all
0: around it. And a photograph inside. It kind of looks like someone, and it's, yeah, it's wrecked. So it kind of looks like maybe someone died in the car. And it's a a shrine.
1: In the basement, there's some coffins on the walls all over. There's tons of photographs of this uh, woman naked, which is awesome. And uh, a lot goes on of just the kids sitting around, fucking around, drinking and yapping and doing some light exploring. But nothing really happened until the final third of the movie. Then somebody comes out and starts killing them. And you do get some slasher action. Nothing really to write home about. No, but the deaths are lame. Yeah, they are. Uh, lots of just stabbing with a knife. Or throat um, slits. Yeah. Bloodless throat slits. Well, no, there's some blood, but just some
0: blood. Like the old... Uh, well, no, that one girl, she all she does is hold her neck and there is no blood at all. Well, no, and then later on, when you see him dragging her off, then there you can see
1: a wound. That was a cheap-ass effect where she had blood in her hand. So when the killer slashes her throat, she brings up her hand with the blood already in it. And kind of splashes it against her neck.
0: Yeah, but you don't see it until he goes to drag her away, and then you see it.
1: Well, I saw it when she splashed it on her neck. Maybe you just didn't see it. Whatever, it's not a great effect. And this isn't a great slasher film. There is a neat little mystery. Uh, whoever is doing the killing is no great shakes. The kills are nothing to write home about. And the characters are just kind of, you know, generic slasher characters. You know, I want a party. That's my... Total characterization right there. This isn't mandatory viewing, but if you are a slasher completionist, I would recommend it. It's not the worst slasher I've ever seen, because I've seen some bad ones, but it's far from the best. Uh, I think it was on a Joe Bob Briggs episode, if I remember correctly, so if you have Shudder... Uh, you could find it on there, probably, unless they got rid of it. If not, then, yeah, somebody... Who is it? Arrow Video has it on Blu-ray, so if you want to... Oh, they were
0: scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> for that
1: one. No, that would be Lover's Lane, which is just brought out.
0: Yeah, that's true. No, I think Lover's Lane was at least more entertaining than this. I don't. I was so bored.
1: Yeah, that was me watching Lover's Lane. Uh. Uh, anyways, slasher flick... Uh, Arrow Video has it on Blu-ray. You could probably find it on Shudder. Jamie gives it a 2. And I give it a 2.5. I wanted to give it a 3 just to say I liked it, but I really don't, because there is a whole lot of nothing going on in this movie. Finally, we're going to end things with this colossal collection the right way. Because we go from... Deadly Manor 2, 1983's The Deadly Spawn. I love this movie so much. (laughs) Uh, In fact, if you listen to the first season of the ABCs of Hidden Horror, this was my pick for the letter
0: D. Also, I got you a Christmas ornament. Yes, you did.
1: This is an ultra low budget affair. It looks like it was made for, like, a buck of five and a pack of cigarettes. But every penny is on the screen. Because while the acting is no great shakes, because, again, amateurs, the special effects are surprisingly good. I mean, some of them look a little bit rubbery, but that just adds to the charm in my book. Because this is a creature feature. Aliens come down in a comet, and they start eating people. They crawl into somebody's basement, and then everybody who goes into the basement gets eaten up. Then it starts spawning, and now you have a whole bunch of these little critters running around of various sizes. And I love the look of them. They're basically all mouth. It's like it's like a penis with a giant mouth at the end. And then it has two little... Arms on either side of it. And you have a whole bunch of other little, like, various sizes of mouths. You get some surprisingly gory kills. You get a kid witnessing his mom get her face ripped off.
0: And the kid is like the Tommy Jarvis before Tommy Jarvis was a thing.
1: He is the typical monster kid. Like Tommy Jarvis. Like the kid in Salem's Lot. I forget his name. It wasn't Glick. They're the ones who died. But whatever. It's a a famous trope. You know, a kid who's very deep.
0: Uh, Like the kid in Funhouse.
1: And like the kid in Funhouse. Very deep into horror. So, uh, here, because he's so into horror and sci-fi and all that stuff, he uses that to his advantage. And he actually is a little badass. You get other people trapped in the house in various places as these big, goofy monsters run around. The story is no great shakes. But it is amazing. It is fun. It is gory as hell. There's a great scene of all these various alien spawns attacking this old lady luncheon.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. That is my favorite scene in the whole movie. You get a bunch of old ladies. "Oh, Oh, oh. And these little puppet monsters, yang, yang,
1: yang. And that yeah. one old lady, she goes for it, man. Yeah. She, <laughs> she takes off her shoe and starts whacking them. <laughs> it is a good time. It is just a damn fun movie. Nothing to be taken seriously. But I love just the amount of skill and love on display in this film.
0: Oh yeah, the not only the puppets. Which look fantastic. And they are dripping goo constantly. Yes. And I was just paying attention to that. Where They had just KY jelly running oh, yeah. all the way through these things, just dripping all the time. But it looks great. Every time they open their mouth, they're just salivating. And just
1: rows upon rows of teeth. They are gnarly looking.
0: But um, not uh, not just the creatures themselves, but even there's a matte painting that yeah. looks great. I mean, they they clearly... Didn't have a big budget, but they also, you know, like you said, they had a lot of heart, they and have, they put everything out there.
1: One of the actors has to crawl out of a window, crawl up onto the roof of their house, and scamper across it to get to another window to get in somewhere else.
0: In the rain... In the rain, and he did it himself, so, you know, hey, stunt work. (laughs) Yeah, there is no, there are no wires on this actor, there are no stuntmen, this is this actor scaling a roof in the rain, Mm -hmm. or whether they produced the rain or not, I would assume they did, but either way, that would be slippery and dangerous as hell, and he did it, and you get, you see him very clearly, it is not, it is not a stuntman. No.
1: It's a great movie, in my humble opinion. I know how some people may not like it because it does look cheap and it does look dated. I don't give a fuck. It's a giant alien monsters eating people, ripping their faces off, attacking old ladies, uh, getting into the food processor. <laughs> uh, and That scene is
0: so fucking funny, <laughs> though, because the old lady serves... This the food. food. to and it, The look on everybody's face when they take a bite is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> they're trying to
1: be nice, but damn, this tastes like shit.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you like things like Slugs mm. or, you know, any of those like... And I do. Low budget creature feature movies. They're not... It's not like... Now, this was straight to video. Yes. Uh, so, the... And they did the, when they did the Blu-ray release, they did the original aspect ratio. So you're watching a square. Mm-hmm. But that kind of falls away. After, you don't even notice after a couple minutes. I don't, anyway, I just kind of ignore it. Yeah, if you're noticing
1: that and not the crazy shit going on the screen. Uh, just turn the movie off. You're not going to get it.
0: But it's not like straight to video, like, bad. Like, no things or something like that. Like it's not that homemade. It's there is actual skill here and a real crew. I they assume. do. Yeah, <laughs> they do
1: a whole bunch of stuff like uh they keep showing all the little baby spawn monsters uh slithering around through the water and blood and all that stuff and yeah, they they put a lot of effort in his shows. So, yeah, I just I love this movie. It's a good time movie. It's a comfort movie for me. I highly recommend it, and no surprise, we both give it a 5 out of 5. Yep. Okay, uh, well, since it's my pick, I think I'm going to break some new ground, because this is all about busting loose, after all, and I'm going to pick a person, as opposed to chainsaws and ghosts or zombies or whatever, and I'm going to pick a director that I really like, but... He hasn't really done much lately in film. He did some TV work. And he doesn't get as much love as I think he deserves. Because I, of all the movies I've seen that he's done, I've really liked them.
0: And that is Jim Mickle. Nice. Yeah, he hasn't done anything in a while, at least feature length. I think the last movie he made was uh, either Cold in July or We Are What We Are.
1: No, he did something, and I've never seen it, but I'm going to have to look it up. Something called In the Shadow of the Moon. Oh. From
0: 2019. Oh, because it's fairly new. I mean, not
3: yeah. know,
1: not new, but relatively. Then he did the TV show Hap and Leonard, yeah. based off the books, the series of books by Joe R. Lansdale, which I love. And then he did something called Sweet Tooth. The TV series. Is that going to be the one from... It was supposed to be... Oh, no, it's not. Okay? I don't know what that is. So he's done some other stuff, but he hasn't done a feature film that I've seen since Cold in July from 2014. But he did a series of movies. He had a good run there for a while. Yeah, and I liked each and every one of them. So... I kind of have a feeling, or I kind of want to watch some of his stuff, so here we go. Knowing that, what Jim Mickle movie do you want to watch? Because you get first pick.
0: Well, that's really easy for me because I already wanted to watch this film, and I was saving it in case we ever chose this particular category. Cannibals? No. Oh. Oh vampires. I oh. want to watch I'm going to do Stakeland. Very good. Now, I do love We Are What We Are. And yeah. if that's not going to be your pick, I'm just going to recommend it in general to people, but I I specifically have been dying to watch Stakeland.
1: Okay. Good movie. Me. Once again, I'm going to court some controversy, I guess, but hey, that's what I do. I'm going to pick a movie that's not technically a hard horror movie although it definitely has some horrific elements to it it is based off a joe lansdale novel who like i just said is one of my favorite authors and that is cold in july Hmm? and i've just been wanting to watch that movie it's more of like a thriller mystery but it's very dark as well very dark so kind of like eight millimeter dark yeah Which, you know, some people consider horror movies, so I think it fits. If not, it's just a damn good movie, you should watch it anyways. It
0: also has a great cast. Oh, yeah. That stars Dexter and Don Johnson. Mm -hmm. And that may be the biggest cast he's had in a movie. Because prior to that, he was always using Nick DiMici and, you know, well, Stakeland has Danielle Harris. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he in his earlier films, there were mostly smaller actors. Oh, Steakland also has Kelly McGillis. Yeah. I can't remember if it came out prior to or after The Innkeepers, but, you know, she had that comeback.
1: Brief you know? resurgence, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I said, well, this is exciting. I, I love Mickle. Yeah. So, I'm excited. And I've been wanting to watch Steakland for a long time, so...
1: Good. So, next show we'll be doing Stakeland from 2010 and Cold in July from 2014. If you can find them.
0: Stakeland is streaming on Peacock, Voodoo for free with ads, Tubi, Canopy, Redbox, Damn. Pluto, Freebie, Damn. Plex, and Roku. Okay, you have no
1: reason not to see that movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's just where it's streaming. I mean, you can also rent it, you know, or buy it from Amazon, of course, and YouTube and Apple TV. So, you can find that movie. As far as Cold in July, that one is available on AMC+, Plus, Tubi, Yay. Canopy, DirecTV, and Pluto streaming. And again, you can rent or buy on Amazon or Apple, and uh, it's available for purchase on YouTube. So, yep, those are both fairly accessible. Well, good. Now you have no excuse not
1: to watch these films. Uh, make sure you do your homework and you're prepared for the next time we come at you with two mickle movies, a bit of Mania, if you will. You realize... Yes, I know. That's why I used it. All right. I do pay attention to you sometimes.
0: Oh. All right. I just didn't, I didn't realize.
1: There's plenty about me you don't realize. I
0: doubt that, but all right. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm very excited about it. Those are two excellent films. So next show is going to be fun. So I guess that's it for us then? Yeah, that should cover it. All Um, right. We'll see you in a couple weeks.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you for visiting the House of Salmons. We hope to see you back very soon. Until then, come chat with Brian and me on our Facebook group page at Horror in the House of Salmons. And if you like what we do here and want to hear some bonus episodes, consider being a patron at patreon.com slash house of salmons. Special thanks to Rick Morgan for composing our theme music.